97.5 The Fanatic. Now, Philly Sports Tonight with Connor Thomas. 97.5 The Fanatic and 97.5 TheFanatic.com. What's good, everybody? Happy Wednesday to you. This is what we in the city of Philadelphia are calling, uh, I guess, Sober Up Wednesday because it has been a party for the past who knows how long. The Phillies' Red October run has been insane. And, yes, you get a nice off day to relax, recuperate, and get ready for games three and four on the road. But, man... What a performance by the Fightins last night. That's one of the more memorable postseason wins you're ever going to see. And so much fun watching that. And you know what? I was talking with Tom, Tom Alvord, who's on the board tonight. And we were talking before the show. And I watched the MLB Network replay of the game. They had like an abbreviated replay today. I was just chilling out on the couch. I'm like, why not? I know how this one ends. Let's see if I catch anything the next time around. And Tell you what, that game was kind of tighter than what we remember it being with the final score. But this team, it doesn't matter. They're just going to bury you when everything's all said and done. The Phillies are playing historically good baseball in the biggest moments of the year. It's an absolute joy to watch. I can't get over it. And I came up with a bit of a tough question to start out the show tonight. My question is, what has been the most impressive thing you've seen so far this postseason? There are a lot of candidates, uh, just a bevy of options for the answer to this question. And there's still a road to go. We're going to talk a little bit later on in the show about the overall view of the series and where you're at right now when it comes to evaluating the Arizona Diamondbacks as competition. But with what you've seen so far, the Phillies now two wins away from their second straight World Series appearance. What has been the most impressive thing? You've seen so far this postseason. You can jump in at 610-632-0975. I'll start with mine because he was on the mound last night. I expected the offense to be good. Did I expect them to be this good? Historically good? Setting records that no one's even heard of or knew existed good? No, I did not expect that. I expected this team to be able to create runs offensively. I expected this team to be able to hit the ball out of the yard. I expected them to be very good at home. And they've done all of those things to an insane level. One that I don't think anyone possibly could have looked at and said, okay, this is a realistic expectation for this team. But you kind of had a feeling of how this team was going to make its impact in the postseason. They were going to hit the ever-living you-know-what out of the ball and hope that the pitching is consistent enough and the bullpen is good bullpen for a couple weeks and that that's enough to get the job done with a defense that isn't quite top of the league. But as you're seeing, right, the Arizona Diamondbacks this year, they were one of the top defenses in the recent memory of baseball. They were by far and away the best defensive team in baseball this year. It doesn't matter how good a defense you play. If you're hitting balls to the moon, you can't defend a Kyle Schwarber home run. You can't defend a Bryce Harper moonshot and Nick Castellanos bombed the left field. There's no way to stop that defensively. So you take that out of the game. And the other way that you can take defense out of the game is by pitching well enough that you don't need your defense to bail you out. And that's why, to me, the most impressive thing I've seen so far this postseason is Aaron Nola. Like Zach Wheeler, we know that he is an outstanding talent. 
He's also been ready for postseason opportunities really since he started getting them. He's been as consistent as they come in the postseason. The regular season, he was more consistent than Aaron Nola. If there was any question about who the ace was coming into this postseason, I mean, I don't know who was asking it because I think it was very clear it was Zach Wheeler. But Aaron Nola, without the aid of a standing ovation, and that's no knock on Trey Turner, right? Different players are motivated by different things, and it's very clear that Trey Turner has had a turnaround in his season. Hit a home run last night in a big spot to start off that game. Uh, The first batter of the game went yard in game one. The second batter of the game goes yard in game two. Fast starts are key to postseason baseball. So it's not a knock to say that Aaron Nola didn't need a standing ovation to have this turnaround, but I don't think anybody saw this complete mental 180 by Aaron Nola that he's done in this postseason. As good as Zach Wheeler's been, Aaron Nola has been better. He has a postseason ERA sub one. Like It is otherworldly what this guy is doing. And to consider what we were thinking about him a month ago to where we're at, Right now, that's the most impressive thing. You just don't see that. It would be like if Trey Turner had played the entire season at the level he did the first four months of the year, and then all of a sudden October hits, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do what I'm doing now where I'm hitting 500 with three home runs and stolen bases and five doubles and all the stuff Trey Turner's doing. It's like if he did that without the turnaround we saw in the regular season. Nobody would have expected that. Aaron Nola has done that in a time that's so critical to him because this is still a contract year for Aaron Nola. And he's gone out there and he's shown you that you can say whatever you want about me regular season. You can call me a every other year pitcher. But the talent level is undeniable. And while the consistency in the regular season is certainly a question, the postseason, this guy has shown up as big as anybody in the moments it counts most. He's been outstanding. And to me... That is the most impressive thing I've seen so far in the postseason. But there's plenty to pick from. Individual, team, managing, the crowd, a lot of places you can go because the way the Phillies are playing right now, it's insane. It takes a full effort by a team to be this dominant and this good at this level of play. And they're just rewriting the history books and driving us into a frenzy here in Philadelphia. It's so much fun. Again, you can jump in 610-632-0975 about what you think the most impressive thing you've seen so far in this postseason run by the Philadelphia Phillies has been. Now, Tom, I'll throw it to you here. With the Philadelphia Phillies on this magical run, it's the second straight year we've seen it. Uh, What is the most impressive thing off the top of your head that you've seen so far during this run? Yeah, part of me wants to say the offense because we all know this offense was good, right? This That's how this team was built, to hit home runs, to put up crooked numbers. We all knew that they were going to be good. I don't think a lot of us expected them to be this good, this consistently in the playoffs. We're breaking home run records from 100 years ago, right? So part of me wants to say the offense with how dominant they have been consistently. But 
Unfortunately, it's not going to make for good radio because I have the same answer as you, buddy. It's Aaron Nola. It's hard not to say Aaron Nola. We're talking about a guy who at one point just a month ago, maybe a little bit longer, we were talking about him not getting a playoff start in like the first three games or the right. first two series. Do you series. remember that? Seriously. We and I was about having that, that conversation. Yes. Like, does Aaron Nola deserve to start in the postseason? And a lot of people were saying no <laughs> because that's how up and down his season was. And that's all we were asking. Listen, just find something. Turn it around a little bit. He turned it around, all right. A .96 ERA through 18 and two-thirds innings pitch this season or this postseason. Incredible. We know Aaron Nola has this type of ceiling. We hadn't seen it at all this year other than a couple starts mixed in here or there. And the fact that he's doing it in the postseason at the biggest moments of the year consistently, three straight starts, it has to be Aaron Nola. Has to be. No, I, I totally agree with you. And if you have a different answer out there, I'd love to hear from you. You can jump in on the phone lines. I'm sure there's plenty of people still buzzing about where the Philadelphia Phillies are right now. So the most impressive thing you've seen so far this postseason is blank. Let me know at 610-632-0975. Now, something else, because I'm glad you brought that up about the conversation that has been had multiple times this year. Aaron Nola, does he start in the postseason? Or then it turned into, well, he's going to. But it's more on reputation than it is on merit at this point with the season he's had. Have Christopher Sanchez ready to piggyback him in the third inning. That's what we were talking about. And I don't think it was a far-fetched discussion considering what happened in the regular season. And you know what Aaron did? He went out there and he absolutely, to the fan base, to the national media, to us having this conversation and anyone who doubted him, he gave him the Nick Castellano celebration, except it was not the ring finger that Aaron Nola was holding up. Now, he didn't actually flip off the fan base, but he might as well have done that to everybody who doubted them this year. And we're not mad about it one bit because you're seeing the benefits of having a great one-two punch. And you have to counter great one-two punches in the postseason. The Diamondbacks have one. Merrill Kelly's been really good. Zach Gallant's been really good, a Cy Young contender. You made them look like they did not belong opposing this team. And Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, that one-two that you have here, it's so great. Now, something alike to the conversation that you had about Aaron Nola going into the postseason, we had conversation all year about a certain leadoff hitter. And I'll tell you what, if I just told you that there was a leadoff hitter that was DHing, not playing the field. It's already weird to have your DH bat lead off, but that he was batting like sub 200 all year long and all of this stuff. Like it's just not a prototypical leadoff hitter. There were so many people that talked about Kyle Schwarber and why he's not a leadoff hitter. And he's not this and he's not that. And he can't do this and he doesn't look like this. And at the end of the day, basically, you're wrong. Sorry, I, I hate to state it so bluntly, but if you don't think Kyle Schwarber should bat lead off for this team, you're flat out wrong. They're two games up to nothing in the NLCS. I know he was cold in the wild card series and in the divisional series, but the chips are down and the playoffs continue and they've overcome his cold stretch. And now he is repaying them by saying, okay, I'm going to go out and hit three bombs in the first two games of the league championship series. Kyle Schwarber is now homered in his last five appearances in a championship series. He's gone out in the last five times Kyle Schwarber has played in a championship series. He has hit a home run in those series. Like, it's unbelievable. 
he's a big-time power hitter that gets the job done in big spots. And you saw what it did for the fan base in Game 1 and what it's meant for this series in general. The start it off, the first pitch of this series, getting sent into the night on Monday night at Citizens Bank Park to give the Phillies a one nothing lead. Like, that is absolutely outstanding. So I love that from Kyle Schwarber. And... There were a lot of people that debated it. I, I don't think it was a crazy conversation, much like the Aaron Nola conversation, right? It wasn't crazy to question whether or not Aaron Nola should be pitching in the postseason, considering his regular season. It wasn't crazy to question in the middle of the year or even like the the late, like the last quarter of the year, should Kyle Schwarber be your leadoff hitter of this team? I don't think the conversation is insane, but there comes a point in those conversations where over the course of the season and the postseason, enough data is out there. Enough information is out there. You have tried this strategy enough to know whether or not it works or it doesn't. And in the case of Kyle Schwarber, batting leadoff, it absolutely works for this team. In the case of Aaron Nola, pitching in the postseason, it absolutely works for this team. And... Rob Thompson had something very interesting to say because Kyle Schwarber with two home runs, one of the big stories of last night's game. Now, when you score 10, even the strongest offensive individual performance is a little bit overshadowed by the final number on the scoreboard. But Kyle Schwarber was huge in last night's game. And I want you to take a listen to Rob Thompson give an answer last night after the Game 2 victory about why Kyle Schwarber is in that spot in the lineup. I believe we were struggling at the time, and, and um, you know, it was time to make a little bit of a change, and, and that was the recipe last year with Schwarber in the leadoff spot, and and it just sort of clicked, and we started winning, and we started scoring runs, and Schwarber got hot. Um, that was really basically what was behind it. It's not that complicated, folks. People want to make baseball super complicated because all of the statistics and sabermetrics and everything. There's a place for that stuff, but we talk about it all the time. When Tom and I host Fanatic Birds postgame after Eagles games, the most important stat at the end of the day is what's in the win-loss column. At, you have to throw out all those other stats, what a typical leadoff hitter looks like, what the batting average is, what the on-base percentage, like all of that crap. Throw it all out. If the team wins more with this guy in that position, that's where he should bat. So, Kyle Schwarber has proven himself to be the guy who should bat lead off. And you heard Rob Thompson say it. It was the recipe that worked last year. Another conversation we were having all year is, but well, you can't track down the Braves this year. Why do you keep losing regular season games and not winning the division? And how do you expect to replicate what you did last year? Well, you're replicating it this year. You're replicating it with Kyle Schwarber. You replicated it and knocking out the Braves in the same number of games. Like you are doing the same thing. Maybe just maybe, this team has a formula that works. And last year wasn't what some people called it when the Phillies were struggling in the regular season, which was a flash in the pan. I think it's very clear to say that this is not a flash in the pan baseball team. They have a proven way to get stuff done. Kyle Schwarber batting leadoff is one of them. And that's just something I wanted to bring up because of the performance he had last night. And it just goes into how ready for the moment this team is. And it's translating into historically good statistics. We just talked about how sometimes the only statistic that matters is win-loss. But on the other flip side of that coin, when you do have a historic run like this, 
you got to look at some of the numbers to truly appreciate what's going on. Now, I urge you, like, I don't do a lot of reading. I'm not a big reading guy. That might strike you as a surprise considering my level of intellect that you hear on these airwaves when we're doing stuff like cheese ball of the week on Saturday or Sunday mornings. And we have that high-level intelligent conversation about me taking my shirt off in my convertible driving around. No, like, I don't really read as much as some people do as far as articles and things like that. But every once in a while, I'll come across a very interesting one that catches my eye. And today I did. Jason Stark has a great piece on The Athletic. Jason Stark, of course, friend of the station, uh, big fan of Jason's work and who he is as a person. But it, it could be anybody if they wrote this article because of the interesting statistics that are in there. Now, the credit goes to Jason, but go out and read that if you haven't yet. Go ahead and check it out because there are some very interesting things in there. The Phillies' home run differential is tops in the history of the postseason. Like, just unbelievable. The Phillies' pitching ERA is, like, up near the top historically of all time in any postseason ever. Like, some players that are historically good. Trey Turner is among three players in the history of baseball to ever bat like 500 and have the slash line that he has through this point in the postseason. I mean, the outscoring of opponents, the run differential is like the highest for the Philadelphia Phillies through three games of any team in the history of baseball. Like they're setting records all over the place. And it's not just offensive. Like I said, the ERA as well. The bullpen's been outstanding. It's just mind-numbing how good this baseball team is. I feel like it's a dream because last year the Phillies were good. They had some moments that were really, really special, and I'm not taking anything away from that team. They were a good team, but let's confront the elephant in the room. Last year's team didn't win at all. We know this. They weren't good enough to get the job done at the highest level, and they played a tough team. I'm not trying to knock the 2022 team, but they were they were great for what we'd seen the Phillies be in the past decade. This team is great for what we've seen any baseball team be in the past millennium. They're unbelievably good. And it's just something that as we watch this series, I want to make sure that everybody out there is appreciating it as much as possible. The other things to me, Tom, as I continue the question of what has been the most impressive thing you've seen so far this postseason, because it's clear by some of those stats I just rattled off courtesy of Jason Stark's great piece in The Athletic that was posted today. There's a lot to pick from. Another thing, Nick Castellanos. I mean, anytime your name is mentioned in the same breath as Reggie Jackson when it comes to postseason performance and postseason home runs, you know you've done something right. There's a reason that Reggie Jackson is called Mr. October. Well, Nick Castellanos in game one hit his fifth home run in three games in the postseason. He is the only player to do that besides Reggie Jackson, who, of course, got the moniker of Mr. October. Now, I don't know if we come up with a catchy nickname for Nick Castellanos and his October exploits, but that's great. And on top of that, Kyle Schwarber has hit 18 home runs in the postseason. As a left-handed hitter, that ties for the MLB record as a lefty with who? Take, take a wild guess. I'll say Reggie Jackson. Correct you all. Ah, look at that. You're a winner. You go home with a new car. Thank you. Yeah, it's the same one you drove in with. Cool. I'm just going to clean it for you. Thank you. Uh, no, it, Reggie Jackson mentioned again. Like, how insane is that that you have two guys equaling the feats of Mr. October on the same team, and they might be hitters number 
three and four that you're most scared of in this lineup right now with Trey Turner batting 500. And oh, by the way, there's that Bryce Harper guy that just continues to be an absolute monster. How do you stop this thing? Um, it's a great question, and I'm glad I don't have to answer it as a manager of an opposing team. Yeah, you're right. And you pretty much took everything I was going to say there because that's there's only so much you can say about how good this baseball team is right now, where you have guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola putting up historic numbers through their first three starts in the postseason, where we're talking about them in the same breath as Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson. That's been said multiple times today uh, on these airwaves, one by Brad Lidge. And uh, yeah, he knows a thing or two about pitching, right? I've so heard of him. We've had those. Guys, we've had our top two guys, our top two horses, being compared to two of the greatest pitchers come postseason time of all time. We have Bryce Harper, who lives for this moment, who lives for the big at bat come postseason time, having a fantastic season or postseason end season, but postseason especially. Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber being mentioned in the same breath as Reggie Jackson, as you mentioned. And oh, by the way, that dude that was batting two thirty in August, early August, is hitting five hundred. In the postseason, after he has a he boots a ball, has an error early in the game. What does he do? Turn right back around and hits a home run. Trey Turner, a couple months ago, he has that error. He's completely out of that game. He's lost. He goes zero for five. The talent around that is on this baseball team that is actually performing up to our standards and exceeding our expectations. It's fantastic what we're seeing from this Philadelphia Phillies team. They are a juggernaut right now. And to answer your initial question, how do you stop it? Uh, don't know. And I'm glad I don't have to answer that question. Hopefully, we don't have to find out. And the Phillies just continue this run. They go all the way through everything. But still, two more games to go to get to the Fall Classic. And then a couple tough teams out west battling in Texas to try and figure out who's going to come out of that. And the series isn't won yet. We're going to have a conversation later on in the show about your mentality on this series as a fan. And something interesting that we heard from uh, Matt Breen earlier today as he uh, talked to Andrew Salchunas. So plenty of that still to come. But coming up... Of course, the Eagles, they have a huge matchup this weekend. The Phillies, they're playing playoff games. We get it. Like, that is the big, big draw right now when it comes to the gravity of these games. But the Eagles are kind of in a tumultuous spot right now. You could go from being 5-0 and to losing two games in a row. And you're also dealing with a lot of injury issues. It's the toughest test of the season so far by a mile for Nick Sirianni's team. So coming up on the other side... We're going to hear what Nick Sirianni had to say in his press conference today about the matchup with Miami. And we're also going to talk about, well, how this game affects your mentality on the Eagles as a whole. Your nervousness level and what the result could mean for the season going forward. We'll get into that coming up. Connor Thomas live with you here on Philly Sports Tonight. And we're back after this here on 97.5 The Fanatic. 97.5 The Fanatic. Yes, we're back here. Connor Thomas live with you. And while the Phillies are in the midst of a red October run for the ages, well, the stats are for the ages, but they did this just a year ago. But still, it's nice to have it back and to see what they're doing this time around. I can't help but have more confidence in the team this year than I did in last year's team. Last year's team felt like a magical, like Cinderella type run. This one kind of feels like, oh, they've done this before. This team's just really good at winning when it counts. So it's got a different feel to it to me. It feels more expected, I guess, this year. But in the midst of all that, the Philadelphia Eagles are in a huge, huge spot right now when it comes to their regular season. You lose your first game of the year 
last weekend against the Jets. And it was a tough loss. It really was. And then you've got to follow that up with a visit from the Miami Dolphins. The Kelly Green game. That stadium's going to look awesome. The fans wearing the Kelly Green jerseys is going to be great. I absolutely cannot wait to see the environment down at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday. But the team coming in is pretty darn good. For some people's money, the best team in the AFC. And the Dolphins are coming with an offense that it keeps coordinators up at night. I mean, it keeps teams in general up at night. And the Eagles are facing a lot of injury issues going into this game. Now, it seems like they might get Sidney Brown back. It seemed like Lane Johnson might be good to go. So, like, there are definitely some pieces that could help the Eagles, but still, the secondary is not at all intact. And they bring back Josiah Scott today, who was with the team last year to try and help out in the secondary, but I don't think he's the savior of this team's secondary. Like, he's a warm body that's played on this team and in the NFL before. But I don't think that's the difference between covering Tyreek Hill and not covering Tyreek Hill. Hopefully, Darius Slay is back and available. He was not available against the Jets. So that would be a huge thing. But even at full strength, this secondary is going to be mismatched against that Dolphins wide receiver core only because everybody is, right? They're like the... I was going to say, they're like the Chiefs of the mid-2010s or like the late 2010s when Mahomes first got there and he had Tyree Kill. But, I mean, they literally are. It's just Tyree Kill. He's unstoppable. And Tua's been having a great year down there for them. It's a very tough spot for the Eagles. And I have a couple questions on how you're going to take the result of this game. Like, it means a lot losing two games in a row at any point. But... To lose two games in a row, if you were to fall to Miami, following a 5-0 and start, heading into a very tough portion of your schedule, it feels like this game is a turning point for the Philadelphia Eagles season. There's two ways it can go. They can go from the team that we saw 5-0 and but had kind of reservations about because they hadn't played a complete game yet to uh, they might not be as good as we thought they were going to be if they lose. Or if they win, it can turn into, oh, okay, they look much more like that team that started 5-0. and They had one slip up like they did last year. They turn into a juggernaut again, and they go on this run. Like, there are two different mental outcomes to this. But you have to take in all the factors when you're evaluating this game, right? Injuries, number one. It's a tough thing to overcome. Number two is the quality of the opponent you're playing. Miami is very, very good. They're talented. They've been playing well. They got a quarterback who can distribute it to some really good offensive weapons. Miami's a problem. And all of that stuff has to come together to give you your general outcome on what you're expecting on Sunday. So I'll ask you this. Let's start with the positive. And you can answer this at 610-632-0975. If the Eagles are able to overcome the injuries and beat the Miami Dolphins, does it completely make you forget about the loss to the Jets? I need you to project your feelings out a little bit there. So let's say the Eagles come out, they beat the Dolphins. I don't care if it's by one or 100. They come out with a win in a spot that feels difficult for the Eagles. Well, does it make you completely just wipe the hard drive? You're not worried about the loss to the Jets anymore. You can rationalize that and say, oh, they had a bad week. But this, much more important for the team's overall success, 
proves to me that they can play top-level competition. I don't think that I can do that. I don't think that one week makes up for one week. Like, I think you are a combination of your prior results, good and bad. So I do think while the Eagles started out 5-0, and those games, none of them really blowouts like that. They had good performances from certain players, certain sides of the ball. But when I look at their performance through the first five weeks when they were undefeated, I still, and I think a lot of people out there, still had reservations. And then that was realized by an all-time just bad Jalen Hurts performance and bad holding on to the football performance against the Jets. Very similar to what you saw against Washington last year in the team's first loss in week 9 or 10. I forget if they had had their bye week by that point, but whenever that was, losing to the Washington Commanders after starting 8-0. So I can't look at this Miami win. If it is indeed a win for the Eagles over the Dolphins as a cure-all, you still have a really tough part of the schedule coming up. But what it will say to me is, okay, this team's ceiling. It's very similar to the Phillies conversation, right? I talked about this all year, the ceiling of the Phillies. It's not where they are in the standings. It's not what they're doing right now. It's can you, in a world, see that Phillies team competing for a World Series? And the answer to me, amidst their struggles, was always yes. If the Eagles beat the Dolphins, their ceiling to me is still Super Bowl contenders. If they lose to the Dolphins, well, the evaluation of that starts to change. One loss doesn't cost you a season. But two in a row with a tough stretch coming up can certainly change your overview of how things are going. So, Tom, I'll throw it to you. Let's Starting with the positive, and we're going to do the, uh, the negative of this coming up, but starting with the positive, if you beat Miami on Sunday, do you completely forget about the loss to the Jets? Obviously, it depends how it happens, but for the most part, I'd probably say yes. Because I would look at the Jets, despite the seasons being different, when the Philadelphia Eagles picked up their first loss of the year this year compared to last year, right? I know obviously the last team undefeated going into the game that they lost for two straight seasons, they looked much like a much more dominant team last year during their 8-0 and stretch rather than the 5-0 and team that this year was before they got picked up that first loss. So it depends on how it happens a little bit to me. Is it something where Jalen Hurts struggles? It's a sloppy game. There's turnovers, but you find a way to win and you squeak by by one point because the defense stepped up. I'm not feeling that great. I'll feel good about the defense, obviously, but the offense is the thing that gets this thing going. So if it happens like that, not going to forget about it a ton, but if it's a game where you go out there and Jalen Hurts looks like he did not last week, but the two weeks before then, the offense is crisp. Red zone looks a little bit better. No drop balls, no fumbles, no interceptions, and Miami puts up some points and you win in a shootout, then yes, I will forget about just one week against the New York Jets. To me, it's really, really dependent on how the offense, and more specifically Jalen Hurts, looks this Sunday night. That's interesting to me. See, this is why you ask these questions, because they raise further questions. So you're more worried about Jalen Hurts than you are, sounds like, anything else. Um, not worried. It's just like, look, he had maybe the, we talked about it, the, the, one of the worst games of his career and definitely the worst game in the last two years from Jalen Hurts last week. And that throw, that interception that he made was just inexcusable at, the, at a guy who's at this point in his career, regardless of what the changes are around him. If he's able to shake it off and just bounce back and, and prove to all of us out there, listen, it was a bad week. I lost lane in the middle of the game. It's not going to look like that going forward. Then I'm going to be feeling really, really good about this team. And, and the red zone offense is a big part about it. I'm not expecting Sean Desai to be able to shut down this Dolphins 
uh, offense. Nobody can, right? Like right. there's very few offenses or excuse me, defenses that can do it. So how do you beat a team like the Miami Dolphins? You outscore them. And obviously you have to outscore oh. everyone to win a game. Yes. I was just going to say, but I more specifically, this Dolphins team who's putting up historic numbers, you have to outscore them. You can't rely on your defense to win a game for you against the Miami Dolphins. They have to get stops, but you can't rely on them to solely win the game. So to me, that points in the direction of the offense. How does the offense looks? If look, if it looks good, that means they pick up a win. If it looks good and they pick up a win, that means I'm feeling good and forgetting about last week. Yeah, okay, I understand your mindset there. I just, like, to me, I'm not ready to wipe away what happened against the Jets. That loss was brutally bad. They looked ugly out there. It was sloppy football, and moving past that is going to take more than one win over a quality opponent because you're going to have to beat other quality opponents this year. And I maybe it's just I need more time between when that Jets game was played and where I'm at to feel more comfortable about it. But I don't see myself coming out of this game against Miami and saying, okay, now I'm 100% confident in the Eagles. But maybe I'm wrong here. And you could jump in at 610-632-0975. Would love to hear from you about if the Eagles knock off the Dolphins on Sunday, does that make you forget about the Jets game? Like, does that fully make up for the loss to the New York Jets? Or is that still a factor in the equation of the 2023 Eagles. Now, on the other hand, if you fall to Miami and you lose two straight games and you're now five and two, here's the other projection that I need you to do. If the negative, then how worried do you get about the tough stretch of the schedule? Like, what is the panic level if you lose not only to the New York Jets, but then you go out and you lose to the Dolphins, your home team, and you're like, oh, man, now now do we start having those questions of are the Eagles not as good as we thought they were? I can't lie to you. If they do lose to Miami, those questions are going to pop into my head. Now, I don't think they're like, you know, you have thoughts sometimes. You have those intrusive thoughts that you can't help. But you don't say them out loud because you know they're insane. Or you know, like, okay, that's kind of just something rattling around in my head that I don't need to vocalize for whatever reason. Sometimes putting things out verbally makes them become reality in the universe. So like you have those weird thoughts. It's like, I don't want to say that maybe that's where that is, but I will start thinking about whether or not this Eagles team has what it takes to be a Super Bowl winner. If they lose this game to the Miami dolphins, I think that's only natural, but I want to know the negative. If they lose to the dolphins, how much does this affect your overall view of the team and their ceiling this year? Uh, Tom, you see them lose to the Dolphins. Are you panicking about the Eagles? Again, depending a little bit on how it happens, of course. A 31-10 to 10 loss is a lot different than a 31-30 to 30 loss, right? So, yeah, of course. Depending on how it happens. But if it does become reality and they lose two straight games to the Miami Dolphins, it's going to put those thoughts in people's heads. It absolutely is going to, right? Because we all know how tough this stretch is going to be for the next six to eight weeks, whatever, however long it is. What we were supposed to do was have a finely tuned machine by this point from the Philadelphia Eagles, see multiple complete games from the Philadelphia Eagles. And we haven't seen that yet. We've seen, what, maybe one, and that was two weeks ago. Other than that, it's been a lot of question marks surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles. But what did we say? It's all right. It's week two. It's week three. It's week four. They'll figure it out. They lose two straight, and they lose the Miami Dolphins Sunday night heading into this juggernaut of a stretch. That tells me that they haven't figured it out, and they're going to be seeing much tougher opponents, uh, obviously, in the first couple uh, weeks of the season. And, oh, by the way, 
49ers schedule isn't exactly a juggernaut either, so that gives them a yeah. little bit of an advantage in the NFC trying to get that number one seed. So, two straight losses this Sunday to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I think those thoughts are going to start creeping in some people's heads. Yeah, and I don't blame it because I'm there with you. Now, I want you to go ahead and take a listen because Nick Sirianni met with the media today. Uh, and he had a lot of interesting things to say. But I want you to listen to this quote because it leads into where I want to take this conversation next. But this is Nick Sirianni today talking about the quality of opponent that he sees in the Miami Dolphins and the challenges that his team's dealing with going into this matchup. I got a lot of respect for Coach McDaniel and the things that he's doing. You know, I think you're seeing a trend in the NFL of the motions that he's running. There was plays we did late at last year that we took from the Dolphins. And so I think anytime you're, you're influencing the rest of the NFL to copy some of the things you're doing, that's pretty cool. Right. And they got really outstanding players. They got great team speed Tua was doing a really nice job of delivering the football and going to the right spot with the ball, making accurate throws. Again, ton of respect for for Mike and, and his staff. They're doing a phenomenal job. And, and they're also they got really good players, you know, which is obviously the most important thing. We're going to have a challenge because, you know, good players, good coaching. And we're going to have to be on our stuff. You're absolutely going to have to be on your stuff. They have good players. They have good coaching. They have good everything. That's why the Miami Dolphins have had such a strong start to the season. So here's my question, right? This is where it builds off that because Nick Sirianni's not wrong. And he clearly has respect for what the Dolphins have done this year. And he sees them as a quality opponent. There's a much different tone when you're talking about a team like Miami than there is when you were talking about a team like the New York Jets. I know how the game ended, but my point being the quality of the roster is different. And you lost that Jets team. I mean, when you were talking about the Patriots, when you were talking about the Vikings, when you were talking about the Buccaneers, teams like that, the Commanders, it might have been, oh, this individual player is a problem. I think this coach is very good. But it wasn't as wide-sweeping praise as what you just heard Nick Sirianni gave uh, the Miami Dolphins. So... I looked at it because I was curious ahead of the show tonight. It's like, huh, are the, are the Eagles favored in this game? Because, you know, lines shift. We were looking at it, and there were only two games ahead of the season they were not favored in. And I believe it was like uh, the game against the Cowboys on the road, and then there was another one that was either like the 49ers or the Bills or Chiefs or something. I don't know. But they were favored in a lot of games. That can shift when you lose a game and when you have injuries and everything like that. So we checked. Uh, and Tom looked it up, actually. The Eagles are two-point favorites at home against Miami this weekend. And I have to be honest with you. <laughs> with all these injuries the birds are facing and the quality of the Miami Dolphins and the game I just watched the Eagles and Jalen Hurts play, I don't feel like they have the advantage in this game. This is the first time this year where I've seen them go into a game and say, uh, I don't know that they're the favorite. I don't know if they are. The betting odds would tell you that they are. I don't know that I agree with Vegas. If I was a unbiased third party and I just wanted to go ahead and put out a wager on the game, I'd be taking the Dolphins. I'm not going to do it because I'm an Eagles fan and I would never bet against the Philadelphia Eagles. My, it, my core of my being does not allow me to do such a thing. I would never. But if I was in a position where I didn't care about either of these teams, and I was just looking at the NFL games, I'd say, huh, this feels like a spot where Miami is the better prepared team. Prepared's the wrong word because it's not like Nick Sirianni doesn't have his team prepared. I think he's going to make the adjustments necessary from the debacle that happened at MetLife this last week, but they're just the better situated team. Playing better football right now. It's not only that, though. Like, health-wise, 
Um, the way the way the schedule breaks out with the Eagles just having that loss, like I just feel like the circumstances surrounding this game lean more towards the Dolphins. Not only are they playing really, really good football right now, but I just feel like the contributing factors point in their direction. So uh, that's another question I want to get into. You hear Nick Sirianni talk about how quality Miami is, a great head coach, a great offense, a great quarterback right now, like what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball and as a team in general, do you feel like the birds are the favorites in this game? Do you feel like they should be two point favorites on the betting line? Like when you look at this game, is it, Oh yeah, the Eagles are favored, but it'll be a tough game. Or is it where I'm at, which is, uh, I kind of feel like the dolphins have the better chance to win this one. Maybe what that is, is the last time I watched this Eagles team play a game it was that disgusting performance against the Jets. And that's just seeped into my brain, uh, my brain and I'm just like sitting here and I can't get that out of my head. But uh, like you can't help how you feel. And right now, if you had to ask me, I don't feel great about the Eagles on Sunday. And that's a big step from where we were the first couple weeks where I was very confident that they were better than all the teams they played. I mean, Tom, you remember me talking about it, like not worried at all about Washington, not worried at all about Tampa Bay, like all this stuff. Uh, We didn't get into the Jets as much because of this Phillies run has taken our attention away uh, from as much Eagles conversation as what we'd normally have. But, uh, yeah, this is the first time this year where I go into a game and I'm like, I don't know that the Eagles are the best team in this game. Is that fair? Are you there with me? No, I think it is fair because this Miami Dolphins team is a damn good football team. Like, they might be the best team in the league. We see the numbers that they're putting up offensively where it's historic. And they're not having nearly as many injury issues as the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, uh, a chain is out. But look, Raheem Mostert's a really good running back as well. He's got, what, like seven touchdowns this year. Jalen Ramsey's out for the Miami Dolphins, but he's been out all season. You look on the Eagles side where you have guys like Jalen Carter and Darius Slay still questionable. How healthy are they going to be? Reed Blankenship didn't practice today Devonte smith didn't practice today right so i think it's everything involved i think it's how good the uh, miami dolphins are playing right now i think it's the injuries that the philadelphia eagles are dealing with but most importantly i just think it's the ugliness that we saw last sunday against the new york jets where that was the worst game like did you expect to see a game like that from the philadelphia eagles this year where like they had that ugly game against washington but it was this game against the Jets was much uglier than it was last year against Washington. Washington just controlled the ball the entire yeah. time. Yes, there were four turnovers. A lot of those were fluky. Last week didn't feel like a fluke. Last week ah, felt like that team just... It, it did feel like It a could fluke. be fluky, but like it was so much uglier last week than I was expecting to see this season from the I Eagles, agree, especially but... in week six or whatever we're in. That's part of the reason where, hey, we shouldn't be having this type of game that ugly this late into the season heading into our yeah, stretch. I didn't think they were not going to have an ugly game this year. Like that I, ugly, Everybody though. has ugly games. That ugly. Well, yeah. I, I mean, everybody has ugly games. You sure. can't control where they come. Sometimes you just don't show up. Sometimes weird, fluky turnovers happen. Now, I think that game was more than that, but they had it last year and they went to the damn Super Bowl. So I wasn't coming into this season thinking this team is infallible. I didn't think we'd see it against the Jets. I thought maybe we'd see it against a more quality opponent or maybe a divisional team. Like maybe the commanders would find a way to do it again. You'd have this weird game against the Giants because they know you well, and a team that looks like they stink against everybody else gives you a game. But well, I don't And know. again, real quick, we had that ugly of a game after only seeing one complete game for the Philadelphia Eagles so yeah, far. They're through still five, five weeks. and oh. They, I mean, are. they I, are. All of these are contributing factors, sure. but I, I don't like it didn't 
I wasn't completely like, oh, my God, like, how would this team ever do that? I was surprised the spot it happened. I just I'm not surprised that it did happen. I'm just surprised it happened against that team in that week in that circumstance. But it's something you now have to overcome like the team did last year. And just as we talk about the injuries, too, I know you listed off a couple of them, but I want to give you this. The Eagles injury report for today, Wednesday, October 18th, just to give you a full idea of who's where when it comes to playing now. Reed Blankenship did not practice rib injury. Lane Johnson did not practice ankle injury. Now, it sounds like we're getting some more positive news on Lane Johnson, but his status still up in the air for Sunday. Bradley Roby did not practice shoulder injury. Devontae Smith, the surprising one on there, did not practice with a hamstring injury. Uh, we'll see how that goes. That would be a guy that you cannot afford to not have on the field, even though they did sign Julio Jones today. Uh, Jalen Carter, limited practice with an ankle. Dallas Goddard, limited practice groin. Darius Slay, limited practice knee. Milton Williams, limited practice ankle. And then Sidney Brown, Eli Ricks, and Tui Peloto were all full practice, but with an injury designation saying hamstring, knee, and triceps, respectively, for those guys. A lot of guys on the injury report there, and a lot of big names. This isn't like... It's not 11 or 12 Eli Ricks. No, these are guys that are big-time players for this team that you could certainly use available in a big-time game. And this is why when I look at this matchup with the Dolphins, it makes me more worried than anything I've seen this year to the point where I don't know that the Eagles are the favorite in this game in my mind right now. If I had to guess, if if you forced me to give you an answer, I would say they're not. Uh, 610-632-0975. Are you worried about this Dolphins game the way I am? Or is it just one of those games where it's like, yeah, we're prepared for a tough test, but the Eagles should still win. That's what I need to know from the fan base out there. Uh, Coming up, though, that was the shot. Here comes the chaser. The Philadelphia Phillies, we still got Red October rolling. They're playing unbelievable baseball. And I have an interesting question for you on the other side. Do you see this series is over? Because I'm going to play a cut from an interview earlier today on these airwaves with Andrew Salchunas. He had a great interview with Matt Breen. We're going to let you hear one of Matt Breen's answers on that sentiment right there. I'm always kind of cautionary with this stuff, but at the same time, you couldn't really have asked for a much more dominant first two games. So I'll pose that question to you. Do you see this series is over or is there still work to really be done for the Phillies to prove to you that they're significantly better than the Diamondbacks. We'll discuss coming up. Connor Thomas live with you. It's Philly Sports Night, and we're back after this here on 97.5 The Fanatic. 97.5 The Fanatic. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Wondering who made our list of the top five all-time queens of country music? Did Carrie Underwood make the cut? Find out now when you text Queens to 45911 and scroll through the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text Queens to 45911 to see the talented artists who rounded out our top five list. 97.5 The Fanatic. Yes, sir. We are in the middle of a red October. Connor Thomas with you here. And what a run the Philadelphia Phillies are on right now. We just talked some Eagles football and their huge matchup with the Dolphins this weekend. It's going to be a tough game. It's going to be high-level competition. It's going to be a real proving ground for whether the Eagles are more like the 5-0 team they started as or the team that lost to the Jets last week in embarrassing fashion. But what does not look like tough competition so far is the matchup in the NLCS. 
because the Philadelphia Phillies have absolutely been dominating, dominating the Arizona Diamondbacks. That 5-2 win in game one, yeah, that wasn't as close as the scoreboard would make it say. And while the 10-0 win in game two might have been closer than the scoreboard said when everything was all said and done, it's still, you beat a team 10 to nothing. That's a route. That's a monster win. And at no point in this series has it felt like these two teams are in the same stratosphere as one another. Now, that can change. Teams have absolutely gone up 2-0 before, especially the home team who's expected to win at home and then found a way to make it interesting by losing on the road or maybe losing a home game later on in the series if it comes to that. Like, uh, mathematically, obviously, this series is not over. And historically, it would say that this series is not over. But like we talked about with the Eagles, one of the big questions Tom kept asking was, well, it's important how it happens. Like, how do you get there? How the Phillies have gotten here has been by demolishing the hopes and spirits of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'll tell you, I brought this up earlier today to a friend I was talking to. And when I was watching that game last night, I didn't totally get the feel, but I watched it back today. And I mentioned that in the opening segment. I watched the abbreviated game on MLB Network today while I was just hanging out at home. And I was like, oh yeah, that that really is where you can feel it. That game was over at a certain point. And it was not the Schwarber home run. It was not the big inning at the sixth inning, I believe it was. It was not any of that. It's not when they scored the 10th. It was not Aaron Nola's first pitch of the game. No, no, no. It was not any of those. It was not actually anything the Phillies did. It was what the Diamondbacks did not do. So for the second straight game, Corbin Carroll finds his way on base to start the game. In game one, it was that broken bat single over Bryson Stott's head. And Zach Wheeler is very good at controlling the run game. Totally normal first inning. He works out of it. All good. You go on. It's an inconspicuous start to the game for both sides. Last night, though, Corbin Carroll hits a ground ball to Trey Turner at shortstop, and Trey makes a bad error. Should have attacked the baseball. Should have played a hop he was more comfortable with. Might not have gotten Corbin Carroll even if he fielded it cleanly because that's a very fast runner. You put yourself in a bad situation when you let, it's what coaches call, let the ball play you. You put yourself in a bad position when you let the ball play you. And you let the ball come to you and you wait for the hop you're going to get. And it ate Trey Turner up. Okay, it happens, it shouldn't, but it does. Whatever. Corbin Carroll ends up on first base. Aaron Nola is not only worse as a pitcher, delivering pitches to batters with runners on, but he is not good at controlling the running game. He's just not. He's not good at keeping guys on first base when they get there. You can steal on Aaron Nola regularly, and people have all year long. Now, that's the thing, right? I'm not trying to say that Aaron Nola stinks. We already had the Aaron Nola conversation about him being the biggest positive of this postseason for both Tom and I. But it's like if I was to tell you about how Kyle Schwarber hits home runs, and then tell you, yeah, but he's not fast. Like, it's just kind of who the player is. Some guys aren't good at everything. Zach Wheeler happens to be. Aaron Nola is not good at controlling the running game. And Kyle Schwarber, not fast. Even though he had the postgame quote that said, big guys can run too or uh, whatever. The yeah, I disagree. Kyle Schwarber's speedster. Yeah, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure he is. He did uh, steal a base in last year's World Series. You get to see the promo run for all that. Yes. But. That's my point. It's not a knock on Aaron Nola as a pitcher. It's just something that 
he and his style of pitching does not do a good job of containing. So you have Corbin Carroll on first base. He is your guy. He bats leadoff for a couple reasons. One is because he can hit like nobody's business. But another reason why he bats leadoff for that team is he is a base-stealing threat to the max. One of the best base-stealers in all of Major League Baseball this year. And do you know what he does for the next three batters and the entirety of the top of the first inning? That man stands at first base and does not try to steal second. And I can't figure out why he wouldn't. Because you have the opportunity to try and scratch one across early and kill the momentum of that stadium and that fan base and that team. And instead, you stand there at first base. And to me, what that said was mentally, the Arizona Diamondbacks are not in the mode of attacking the Philadelphia Phillies. They're in the mode of showing up and hoping something goes their way. And that is not a way to compete on the road in a playoff series, especially a league championship series. That is scared. That is waiting for, we talked about it with Trey Turner and playing that ground ball, letting the ball play you. That's letting the game play you. That is waiting for the Phillies to make a mistake instead of going out there and trying to take a run. And the Arizona Diamondbacks from that moment forward, the mentality of that team to me has been revealed. They did not seem like they were attacking the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, can that change with them going back to their home ballpark? Uh, Tickets right now are at like, $7 $7 in a cheese sandwich to get in there. So it's not that expensive. So who knows if anyone's going to show up for them anyway. It's certainly not going to be the same environment as Citizens Bank Park, but maybe that's a good thing for Arizona because even a neutral environment is much better than dealing with us crazy folk here in Philadelphia out there at the game screaming our heads off from first pitch to final out. So maybe it makes a difference. I I, I don't know. The pitching shifts significantly in favor of the Philadelphia Phillies, but Series can have these weird twists and turns to them. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but I've had I've heard this conversation had already. Is this series, for all intents and purposes, over? Not necessarily that the Phillies are going to sweep or anything, but does the quality of team look so much in favor of the Philadelphia Phillies that you consider this series to be uh, effectually over? Now, I want you to take a listen, because if you think I'm just conjuring this up out of like hot take Philly sports radio, whatever, and that no one's actually saying this, or if you think it's blasphemous to call a series over before it starts. For the record, I'm not saying the series is over. I always like to take a more cautious approach to playoff series. But sometimes there's no point in hiding from the clear fact that a team is superior to another. And earlier today, Matt Breen jumped on and talked to Andrew Salchunas on middays. And kind of talked about how the series has gone so far and where he sees the competition level of the Arizona Diamondbacks being at. I do think the next round is going to be a test, just like it was last year. Whatever those two teams are there, they're both really good, similar builds to the Phillies, and that's going to be the test. And now, you know, is it four or is it five? And you hate to talk like that because, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but the level of play is just so extreme that, you know, it's over. And the team, you know, fly ball drops in the infield last night. They couldn't wait to get out of there. I mean, it just was so checked out. And it's a good good team, had a good run. But, uh, you know, time comes for everybody. And this was this is obviously their time. Yeah, Matt Breen does great work for the Inquirer. Gave a great interview with Andrew Salchunas on 97.5 Middays. You can go back and listen to a podcast on our website, 97.5thefanatic.com. It was a very interesting answer there. And I'm not saying Matt's wrong at all. 
I'm just saying I'm not I'm scared that we talked about the intrusive thoughts. I'm scared to vocalize. Oh, yeah, this series is over. Maybe because I'll have a billion people calling in at 610-632-0975 to say you jinx the Phillies. Why'd you kill the season if it turns around? But also because I just as I get older and hopefully slightly more rational as I watch more sports seasons go by and I learn from the things that work and things that don't. I just know it's never over till it's over. And sometimes you have to have a more cautious approach in the face of a team that looks dominant. But everything that Matt Breen was talking about there and referencing to, I mean, I saw the same thing. This Diamondbacks team looks overmatched. And I need to know if you out there, if you Philadelphia Phillies fans are willing to vocalize it, do you think this series is over and the Phillies are just a complete overmatch for the Arizona Diamondbacks? And, what Matt Breen said. The question now is, is it four games or five games that the Phils win? Are you at that point yet? Because I think there are some people in the Philadelphia Phillies fan base who are there, who have seen what happened in the first two games and say, okay, cakewalk, no match for us. And those people might end up being proven right. Like, I don't want to be the brash person who comes on these airwaves and says that because that's not conducive to the mentality I want to have surrounding this series. I want to go into every game with the proper amount of focus, like I'm almost playing in the game, right? Like you can't underestimate an opponent. But the fact of the matter is, reporters like like Matt Breen, the fans like us, we can overlook a team. We can go into a game and be like, ah, they're way better because we're not actually playing. So I want to know from the fan base, 610-632-0975. Seeing the first two games of this series, do you feel that this is a complete overmatch, that the Phillies are the much better team, and that this series right now, for all intents and purposes, is over with the Philadelphia Phillies destined to go to the World Series for a second straight year. Tom, you're the rational one here, right? I'm normally the crazy, like, says a bunch of weird, crazy stuff all the time. Like, who knows what he's thinking or where his brain's at. You're a guy who's much more measured. And I'm trying to be measured in this conversation. But is this series over? funny you set up my little intro for myself because i was going to come on here and tell you how i normally am such a measured person i try not to look too far ahead and all that good stuff series is over man it's over it, really? it, it, it is it is you just see the difference between the talent between the two teams where your best shot to come out and punch the phillies in the play in the face you missed completely on that punch you had zach allen you had merrill kelly you had an opportunity to steal one on the road that's what my big thing was if the arizona diamondbacks were able to steal one on the road i thought the series was going six and i said that it might actually happen on friday when i was filling in for yourself but i also said if the philadelphia phillies find a way to win the first two of these games and they go to arizona two nothing this series is over i could see a sweep like truly because it's the talent differential it is Nick Castellano saying, hey, we thrive best when we get punched in the mouth. So if they do lose one of these two games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know what that's going to be? That's going to be a wake-up call, and we're going to see what we saw against the Braves series. You also, the pitching advantage where you got Brandon Fought, a guy who had a 5 ERA, and then a bullpen game for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And for the Phillies, you have Ranger Suarez, who has an ERA under 2 in two postseasons the last two years. And Taiwan Walker, who, yes, he can be shaky. Taiwan Walker, he also spent $70 million on, and he went through a three-month stretch where he didn't allow more than four earned runs in one start i think their best opportunity to prolong the series was picking up one of these two after that domination last night it's all but over it is listen okay you're supposed to be the rational one here and you're the one saying it's over which is a fun little switch up uh because uh, it's nice to be on the other side of the coin every once in a while but 
The only reason I'm trying to be more measured here is because I'm protecting myself from the small chance that it comes back and bites us all in the ass, right? Like, I don't want to be sitting here saying the series is over and then in a week sitting here and saying, how in the world did this happen? I'm so invested in the Phillies emotionally, professionally, that I can't handle a disappointment of that level. But I I know what you're saying, right? I don't think you're crazy for saying it. And I don't think Matt Breen, who we heard the cut from, works for the Inquirer, does a great job over there covering the Phillies. Like, I, I don't think he's crazy either. If you have this thought, I'm not here to tell you you're wrong. I'm just very interested to see what percentage of the fan base is in the camp of this series is over. The Phillies are the much better team. Everything's all said and done already through two games because they're only halfway there. But the way they've gotten to halfway is has been outstanding work by the Philadelphia Phillies. And it should make you very, very comfortable into where this team stands right now. I'm not not comfortable. Like, I'm very comfortable with where the Phillies are. I was ecstatic after the 10-0 win last night. But at the same time, both games at home, your top two pitchers on the mound, the offense looked really good. Like, everything has gone right for the Philadelphia Phillies. That's the other thing that kind of creeps into the back of my mind. It's very rare that you have an entire series, especially a seven-game series, where everything goes right the whole way. A wild-card series where you only need to win two games, perfect. Cool with that. A series against the Braves, well, everything didn't go your way because you collapsed in game two and you lost the game that you probably could have had to make that a sweep, but different. Like, the longer the series gets, the better chance there is a misstep at some point. I don't know that the Phillies are going to have it because I do think they're a much superior team. I'm just trying to be more measured, and I'm not saying it's over quite yet, but I'm saying it's looking <laughs> it's looking to be that direction. Uh, now, I do want to let you know, by the way, a little programming note. Coming up in just under 15 minutes at 8.30, we're going to be joined by Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation. Tim Kelly does a great job covering the team for Phillies Nation. He's out in Arizona right now talking to some of the players and watching the workout that the Phillies are doing ahead of their game three matchup tomorrow against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So we'll get some insight. Uh, Tim knows what's going on with the team. He follows them all year, follows them around and everything like that. So very interested to hear what Tim has to say. I'll be asking him questions like this, but I want to open up the phone lines and you can jump into at 610-632-0975. Is this series over? Let's start with John in Roxborough. John, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. What's up, man? How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? Tired. Yeah, what are you tired from? 3.30 in the morning getting home, waking up, fighting on to work. Yeah, no, I got you. Now, what do you think about the Phillies and this series and everything right now? Do you think this series, after the first two games, is over? Yeah. So, I mean, Calcian said, you get hit in the face, that adrenaline starts pumping, you're ready to go. What happens when the Braves stole game two? Or name steal it, but they won game two. Right, yeah, the, Phil- the Phillies fought back. Yeah, we come back and beat them by eight in that game. So do you and think the... Took their hearts from do you think the Diamondbacks are going to fight back? Is that what you're saying here? No, I don't think they have a chance. I don't think they got a heart anymore. It's just non-existent. I got you. And yeah, that. I mean, listen, thank you for the call. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, if it's kind of what I was talking about with the Corbin Carroll not stealing in the first inning of game two against Aaron Ola, who's notoriously bad at holding runners on. Like, 
it almost seems like they're waiting for something good to happen for them instead of going out and making something happen. No heart is kind of a harsh way to put it, but they didn't have a lot of fight in them in game two. They showed a little bit in game one, which made me feel like they were going to make this a series at some point, but game two made it look like they were laying down and dying. Now, does that change with a change of scenery? Does it change not playing a game at Citizens Bank Park? Maybe, but all the data points and all the statistics would point to this being a largely favored Philadelphia Phillies team right now in the series in general, in the next two games, and everything. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just trying to be a little bit more uh, more cautious when it comes to all that. Uh, 610-632-0975 is how you jump in. Uh, let's go to uh, Joel and Philly next. Joel, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. What's going on, guys? What's up, man? How you doing? Great show so far, honestly. Really great show. I, mean, I appreciate. I do it. not love this time of the year. I, look, this series is 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 done. Is done. I mean, and and I know I'm a homer, right? I know I'm going to sit here and say that this series is done, but I just think the mentality of the D-backs after that Dodgers series, they thought that they were going to come here and the magic was just going to happen again. And I think that they were in for a, a big surprise. And I think it really shocked them when they came to the bank. They saw how loud it was. They, you know, they gave us a good shot to come back at game one. I was there for game one. And then game two, they just kind of get blown out of the water. I mean, I think I think they're in over their heels. And, and I think that this, this series is all but over. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way. And, Joel, I get why you're feeling that way for sure with the way that this has looked through two games. I mean, it's about as dominant as you could have expected it. So dominant. Look. Yeah. Like yeah. what right now, if you had to pick something – is there anything that you would say the Diamondbacks are doing better than the Phillies? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, the national TV broadcast put the camera on Corbin Carroll and Aaron Nola after his leadoff single because why do you not steal in that situation and he doesn't go? I mean, I, I hate to, to, to you know put it all to one thing, but that's such a microcosm of this series. I mean, I really think that you know this team – with with the experience that we have, it's really showing here. I mean, it, we've been here before. We've acted like like Thompson said. We, we we're acting like we've been here before, and and I think this entire team, mentality wise, knows that this is just another step to get back to the World Series. And I think that you thought that I've thought that this entire season. Any real fan knows that all we had to do was get in. And once we're in the dance, we knew that anything could happen, especially with this lineup. You're absolutely right, man. I appreciate the call. Like, that's the thing. This has been the mentality all year. Rob Thompson has staked the way he's managed. And this team has staked the way they've played to the fact that they are built for October. It's not built for winning the division. It's not built for winning 140 games. Like, not that anyone's built for that, but you understand the hyperbole. It's not built for any of that crap. They're built for what matters. No one celebrates NL East titles if you go out in the second round. No one celebrates winning 100 games if you lose in the playoffs. Like, what gets celebrated are National League pennants, American League pennants, and to a much greater extent, a World Series championship. The Phillies, they've built their team around the belief that they are good enough to do that, and so far, they've been proven right. The only thing that's stopping me from saying this series is over is my own internal, like that voice in the back of my head saying, okay, just slow, slow it down, hit the brakes a little bit. There's still two games left. But every rational thought and every irrational thought and every statistic and every feeling and everything points towards the Philadelphia Phillies being the much better team 
in this series. Now, again, coming up on the other side, we're going to talk to Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation. And I'm going to ask him these questions. I'm going to see what his thoughts are. He's been at the games. He's out in Arizona with the team. He's got a good finger on the pulse of this series. And I want to know what we've been talking about tonight. How close is the series to being over? How big is the advantage for the Philadelphia Phillies? How impressive is it what they've done and many things? I don't want to give away all the questions because you got to listen to the interview for that. But it's coming up just on the other side. We're going to take a quick break. We're back after this. Connor Thomas live with you on Philly Sports Tonight. And we're back on 97.5 The Fanatic. 97.5 The Fanatic. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Award-winning movies often have incredible soundtracks, and many of those have gone on to become country gold. We've picked our top five country songs that have been nominated for an Oscar. Text OSCAR to 45911 to see if your favorite made the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text OSCAR to 45911, and we'll send the link straight to your phone. 97.5 The Fanatic. Yes, Connor Thomas back with you live here. Of course, we've been talking a lot of Philadelphia Phillies baseball and what they have going on with this magical run. And historically good offensive numbers, historically good pitching numbers, like everything's been really good for this team. And this series has been maybe the strongest example of just how dominating this team can be. So we had to bring in an expert, of course, to give us a full lowdown on exactly what's happening so far in this postseason run for the Phillies. So I'd like to bring on Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation, who's taking some time out in Arizona to join us. Tim, appreciate the time. First off, how was the trip out? I know you told me how hot it was out there. You staying cool? Yeah, I mean, as much as you possibly can in Arizona. The trip out's good. It's just long, but good. And there were a decent amount of Phillies fans, I would say, on my flight. Well, that's a good sign because I think plenty of people have seen on social media the difference in ticket prices for folks in Arizona compared to what it is in Philly. Uh, I mean, just on that, the environment in the first couple games at Citizens Bank Park, I know you were down there and taking everything in. What did you think about just the general environment at Citizens Bank Park and how it affected a young Diamondbacks team that hasn't been in a position like this before? Yeah, I don't know how much it, it necessarily affected the Braves in the NLDS because they've been to Philly a bunch. They've been to Philly in a playoff series last year. I think the Phillies just played better. But we saw this with the Padres last year and I think with the Diamondbacks this year. Guys will say, oh, yeah, we played in tough environments, this and that or we've done this to prepare. And I really just don't think until you're in it, you understand exactly how raucous of an environment it is and how crucial it is if you're the visiting team to get that first run. Because if the Phillies get ahead, which they did in both of those first two games, it just it, it feels like a, a snowball effect where they feed off the momentum of the crowd. And before you know it, they, they've won the game. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You can see how quickly a game can feel over playing against this team, especially the way they hit the ball out of the ballpark. Now, as far as games being over, you can tell early. If the Phillies get on the scoreboard, you can tell the momentum shifts. But a series is a whole different thing. And in a seven-game series like this, I always try and hesitate. Like, I'm always cautioned about saying, oh, this is over. This team's so much better. Like, call it a night. We'll see in the World Series. But it's starting to become a narrative. I've seen the tweets. I've heard some national media talking about it. When you look at the overview of this series, 
Is there a way that Arizona can make this interesting heading back home? Or does this still feel like the, uh, the Phillies have this pretty well under control? I think it's they have it pretty well under control. And I'm like you, I don't want to end up on old takes exposed. So <laughs> exactly. I try to, I try to measure myself, but it's it just the first two games. It looked like these two teams were, it looked not varsity against JV. It looked varsity against middle school or late elementary school. It just, there does, there does seem to be a gap between these two teams. The Phillies are also incredibly hot right now. And the, the real advantage the Marlins had was their one, two in their starting rotation and they, they lost both of those games. So uh, the next two games are not set up well to win. To me, it's a question of whether this is a sweep or five games. I, I don't. I, I would be very surprised if the series gets back to Philly. Now let's do it this way, right? Let's say the series does find a way to turn the Diamondbacks' way. Uh, in that rare circumstance, because I agree with you, it looks like the Phillies are the much better team just through two games in this series. But if it was the turn, what do you think would have to happen for the Diamondbacks for that to be a reality? I think the Phillies' bats would just have to go cold because right now if you're hitting four or five home runs a game, <laughs> you're going to win 90% of the time, if not more. So they'd have to go cold. And also the starting pitching would have to really struggle. But even then, you still have Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler waiting later in the series. So I think even if it's a turn, it's the Phillies winning six games instead of the Phillies winning four. Yeah. So basically like the only way Arizona's in this is if the Phillies stop doing all the good things that they've consistently done throughout the postseason, right? Right. I mean, and obviously that, that sounds simple, but right. I mean, it's unlikely to happen. The Phillies have played so well. They have a commanding two nothing lead. And I, I just, I, if there was 1% of the crowd that was Diamondbacks fans in Philadelphia, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 50% Phillies fans here tomorrow. So I, I think that the environment to a degree will just kind of carry on into Arizona. Yeah, we'd love to see that happen. I know there's plenty of people who are thinking about making the trip out there if they are. Hope they're as loud as Citizens Bank Park has been. Now, I want to pose this question to you because I opened the show with this tonight. Uh, read some historical stats on where the Philadelphia Phillies have been through this postseason run. And I want to know, what has been the most impressive thing you've seen so far this postseason? Because there have been things that they've done that maybe we expected to an extent. And then there have been some things that might have caught you completely off guard. So the most impressive thing the Phillies have done so far in this postseason run is what? As impressive as the home runs from Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper and Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber have been, it's a long list. I think the, the most impressive thing has been the one-two of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, or Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola. It, it, right now, what Cole Hamels did in 08, you, you have two guys doing that right now. And when you couple that with the fact that the lineup is on a, a torrid pace and the bullpen's been very effective for the most part, too, it, it's how you got, have gotten to a point where right now the Phillies are the odds-on favorite to win the World Series because that one-two is just devastating. And Ranger Suarez is a pretty good number three. I'm a little amazed still nationally that there doesn't seem to be this realization of how good Ranger Suarez has been over the last three seasons. But when you have him following up these two, you're in really good shape. So I, I would say the one-two of Nolan Wheeler to this point because I think they're both having historic playoff runs so far. Yeah, that's where I went. That's where my producer Tom went tonight. Was We went specifically NOLA, but the pitching has been so awesome in this one. Talking to Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation, 
Now, turning our attention to game three, you already brought up Ranger Suarez and the situation going on with him starting and how good he's been and how there is a one-two punch, but as a three, he's been amazing. And then on the other side, you've got Brandon Fott. And I don't think a lot of Phillies fans know much about him. He's not the big name that you saw in Zach Gallen. He's not the guy who's had the year that Merrill Kelly had. What should we expect in this pitching matchup? Is it as one-sided as it seems on the mouth? I think so. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be biased or anything in the Phillies' direction because I thought entering the playoffs that there was a good chance the Braves would end up winning the National League playoffs and probably winning the whole thing. So it's not that, but it's just the Diamondbacks had a really good one-two, and I think that's why they were successful in the three-game series and then in the five-game series. But it's just so much pressure on those two guys when you have almost nothing reliable or playoff tested after them. And uh, I, I do think it, it's a big advantage for the Phillies. Uh, even if the Phillies game four, go with Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez an opener, some combination, they may still have the better option in game four. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think not only the top two that we talked about, but the Phillies generally have a, a relatively deep rotation, all things considered. And perhaps we should have seen this coming when you compare what they have in the rotation as opposed to what the Dodgers, the Braves, and now the Diamondbacks have. Yeah, now last one for you, Tim. We'll let you go because I know you got a bunch to uh, work on out there ahead of Game 3. And I just want to put this out there. This question and your impending answer, both jinx-proof, okay? So I don't want anyone to, to bring this back. Just a fun one to end on, though. If the Phillies end up winning, moving on to the World Series, and clinching in Arizona— do they end up in the pool out in right center field? Yeah, I, I believe they will because uh, I'm drawing a blank on who it was, but I think somebody on the Diamondbacks essentially said the pool's up for grabs. You got to win the series to hold serve on the <laughs> pool. So uh, I do believe they will end up out there if they win in Arizona, and I believe that they will, whether it's in four or five clinch the the pennant in arizona well i hope we're uh, both on the right side of that one tim thank you so much for the time really appreciate it and uh you be safe out there safe flight back when you do get to that point and hopefully you're coming back with the nl champion phillies all right sounds good man thanks thanks tim tim kelly of phillies nation very gracious with his time appreciate that he does some great work over there so go ahead and check out phillies nation and read some of tim's work there and uh, I did not know that the Arizona Diamondbacks had had someone say that, that the pool was up for grabs. So I'm glad I asked that question because if I get to see Kyle Schwarber do a belly flop in that damn pool, I'm going to be the happiest person on planet Earth. I cannot wait. Garrett Stubbs is the first one in that pool. Of the pool. Oh, him or, for sure. him or Marsh. It's a tough, tough one to battle it out. Well, Schwarber can't be the first person in because there won't be water left. The belly flop that that guy will do. With the speed, you already brought up the speed. The he speed, can run yes. it. And, and just like, he seems like a guy who would have the physics of the belly flop down. Like, he's a power hitter. Whether that's water in a pool or baseballs hitting 450 feet. What a celebration that would be, huh? We'll get there when we get there. Yes, we will. And I'm very intrigued with now, we heard the cut from Matt Breen of the Inquirer earlier today with Andrew Salchunas saying that, he thinks the biggest question is just, is this a four-game sweep or is this a gentleman sweep and the Phillies win in five? Tim Kelly, who we just talked to, echoing the same thing. People are very confident in the Phillies. And these are folks that get paid to do this and try to write in a way that is reasonable 
and in a reporter's mindset, they're not just fans like me and Tom and you out there listening where it's just like, okay, we can be boisterous. That's the way you're supposed to be a fan. No, the folks who are experts on this think the Phillies are a much superior team to this point in the series. So bottom line is you should feel very, very good about where the Philadelphia Phillies are right now. 610-632-0975. Want to go back to the phone lines here. We've got a couple people waiting that want to talk little Phillies as well. Let's go to Eric and Feasterville. Eric, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, man. How about yourself? Oh, living the dream. So, uh, honestly, you know, you're, you're asking if we're ready to, to call it, you know, call it over. I, I can't quite get there only for the fact that you never know. You're going back to their stadium, all that. But all I can say is if they come out and score in that first inning or two, in, you know, tomorrow night, I don't see any way that they get off the mat at that point. That that's where I think it would it would be over. If they can come out and that you know Schwarber or Harper can get out in that first inning and you know put one over the fence, it, it's pretty much over. Yeah, listen, it's hard to debate that because this Diamondbacks team is already one that seems shell shocked on the road. If they go out and they go down early at home, they're going to start to feel like their backs are up against the wall. Like right now. We might, Eric, right? We might feel like this series is close over. We might feel like the Phillies are the superior team. But you got to believe in that Diamondbacks locker room. As badly as they were beaten last night and as rough as being down 2-0 feels, they're still holding on to the faith that they got games left to play. Like, they can come back. They're playing at home now. So if you can get up early on the road, that might be the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, I feel like they got that pride factor too. You know, they they mm. they're going to come out and they're going to try and take their best shot early as as much as they can to try and show like, okay, yeah, we went down ten nothing last time, but you know, we can't let that happen again. So, you know, I'm hoping that we can get up early and that's you know, especially being the top half of the inning, that we can get up there and and put one up early and then just kind of <laughs> knock the wind out of them right out right out of the gate. Yeah, I got you, Eric, and I appreciate the call, man. Uh, sounds like he's in a great mood, just like all of Philadelphia right now. And uh, that is the key, right? The Phillies scoring early has been huge. Do you know, Tom, I'll ask you this, because this was one of when I uh, prompted y'all to go and check out Jason Stark's athletic article that he wrote about some interesting stats from the Philadelphia Phillies. This is one of the ones in there. So I'll give you a little tidbit, but do still please read the article. It's great work by friend of the station, Jason Stark. Do you know how many plate appearances the Philadelphia Phillies have. Now, keep in mind, they played two wildcard series games. They played four NLDS games against a 104-winning Braves team, the best team in baseball this year, and a historically good offense. And then they've already played two games in the NLCS against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Over those games, which by my math, I believe is eight. Correct. Not a big math guy. How many plate appearances have the Philadelphia Phillies had where they were trailing at the time of the plate appearance. Plate appearance? Um, that makes it a little bit tougher. 20. They've had six. Pretty good. They've had they've sent six batters to the plate in an instance where they were trailing. Not I'm not talking about the NLCS. No, I'm not talking about the NLDS. I'm talking about the entire postseason run. The Philadelphia Phillies have sent six batters to the plate where they were trailing. It's just absolutely unbelievable how this team has been able to get on you early, how the starting pitching has been able to give you a buffer of a couple scoreless innings to start so you can feel comfortable as an offense. Like, okay, starting pitching is doing their job time for us to turn it on. Like, 
they've done everything well. And what we were just talking to Eric about, our last caller, about getting on them early and taking the wind out of their sails out there at Arizona, it's absolutely something the Phillies have done well. And home or away, that really puts the pressure on a team in the whole idea of just the single game. In the series, there's clearly higher implications of going down early in this game. You're already facing a 2-0 deficit. But even in just an individual game, going down early in the sport of baseball can be a death sentence, especially when the other team has such a good bullpen, such a good starting pitching rotation, and an offense that can continue to add on to that with momentum. So all great points there to consider heading into game three. Uh, let's check in with David in North Philly next. David, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. Hey, what's up, fellas? How you doing, man? Pretty good. All right. The, the word is momentum. The, the It'll be the gentleman's sweep. I'll give the, the Arizona, I think they have five, where they may be able to win the game. But overall, the momentum is is on um, the Philly side. I I think they, they get to the World Series. I think they win it. I don't really see them going back-to-back, losing back-to-back. I don't, I don't see it. They should Man, be- I hope you're right, but we're a long way away from winning the World Series, and we're still two games away from winning the NLCS. I love how confident you are, but you're not worried at all about the Diamondbacks. No, I mean, when you, you, you look at you look at how the Phillies are playing right now, they're so hot. They, like I said, they have the momentum. They have the confidence. And it's it, baseball is such a streaky sport. And when you're in the hot streak, you can roll over teams. And right now, they got hot going into the playoffs, and they're riding that wave now. They, they're at, they're on cloud nine. And even if they fall behind, you just said they've only been behind for, what, six batters or whatever. Yeah. They, they come right back. You don't get a chance to dwell on the negative. There's um, – can bring it out. Can get them out to the, the – um, you know, can make that hit. Right, top of the lineup to the bottom of the lineup. So when you, when you have that, you're you're not doubting yourself. You're out there playing loose. That's exactly how you want to be. I got you, man. Let's yeah. get to that point. Now the the uh, Eagles, they need to get to that point where they are playing loose. The uh, injury bug has really got a hold of them. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I think they'll be okay. I I I'm, I'm, my eyes are showing me stuff, and I'm like. Hertz had a, I mean, that was her, a horrific interception. I mean, you can never throw that ever. Um, but I watched the whole game and I'm looking at him and it, it, it's like, you know, wow, that's a great catch by AJ Brown. It's a damn good throw by the quarterback. Mm. He's putting it in spots where it's like Peyton Manning is. He's playing it. And, and you got a guy that's going out there to go get it. The Devontae Smith drops, those are ridiculous, but. That's not he's not Todd Pinkston. He'll, he'll make those catches in the future. No, he will. And David, I'm not overly worried about. And thank you for the call. I appreciate it. You enjoy the rest of your Wednesday night. I'm not overly worried about the Eagles right now. Like I know they're still a quality team. I just think uh, I brought this up earlier. Like this week is going to have a huge effect on my mentality of this team's ceiling. Not whether or not they're good. Whether or not they have the ceiling of being a Super Bowl winner. Miami's your first real test. And you've already failed one of the tests that wasn't supposed to be all that difficult, right? You have like these easy five-question quizzes. Like let's look at this as a college term. And you're taking a class. And you have these like five-question pop quizzes that pop up like once a month or something. It's like, okay, cool. Nailed that one, nailed that one, nailed that one. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that huge part of your grade. And now you have the midterm. 
Now, there's more to it, but I'm just trying to use an example as to how I'm viewing this. But this is a big test that matters more to my overview of this team. And it's one that the Eagles are going to have to be ready for. The Phillies, on the other hand, I love how confident everyone's being. I love what I'm hearing from reporters, fans, us here, Tommy. Like, everyone's zoned in on this team. It's hard not to be with this Phillies team right now. I know. And I don't blame anybody. I'm trying to be a little bit more reserved. Simply because, I again, like... Yeah, I don't like this from you. I'm not going to lie. I'm used to Connor, who's guaranteeing stuff, and Connor, who's, you know, giving people MVPs and telling people, don't relax, don't no, no, worry, no, no, they're no. going to be good. Here's what you need to understand, right? Where's that guy at? With the Philadelphia Phillies, I've been telling you this since June. I've been telling you, wearing this damn Hawaiian shirt I got on my right now. I've been doing this since June. I've been telling you this is the team you're watching, and people did not want to listen to me. They didn't want to listen to Kyle Schwarber should bat leadoff because they win when he bats leadoff. They didn't want to listen to, I don't care what the Braves are doing. You're not going to catch them. Focus on beating them in October. They didn't want to listen to, this team has the ceiling of a World Series winner still. They just have to put it together for 13 damn wins, and we're not going to care how many wins they had in the regular season. And now we're at the point where they're just proving to be the team that I thought they were. So I don't need to say anything about, ah, like, this is a lock. They're going to win this series. I've been telling you since June they were good enough. Now I'm kind of just sitting on my hands like, okay, you're proving it. It's up to you at this point. You don't need me to tell you how good the Phillies are. This fan base knows it now. Go out there and just prove it, and I want to let the players do more of the talking by finishing out the series themselves. Now, I know that's not great as a talk show host to say I want to let the players talk for me, but I am trying to be a little bit more reserved because I think it's evident how good this team is. I don't think you need me to go out there and convince anybody anymore. So uh, do I think they win the series? Yes. Do I think they win the series in four or five games? Yes. Do I think they're going to end up going to the World Series? Yes. But do I think the series is over? Yes. I'm just not quite there yet. Okay. Now, coming up, tell you something that might be over. James Harden's relationship with this basketball team might be over. And today we got some very interesting news about James Harden and skipping practice and taking off for parts unknown that might have turned out to be Houston. Like, uh, we're going to go where in the world is Carmen San Diego, except it's James Harden. And we did this last year with Ben Simmons, and now, or two years ago with Ben Simmons, and now we're back at it again. So I want to get into that discussion about the James Harden saga from today because with only a little over a week until the Sixers open their regular season, this is something that's becoming a big issue in Philadelphia sports that needs to be addressed. We'll talk about it on the other side. Connor Thomas, live with you here on Philly Sports Night. We're back after this here on 97.5 The Fanatic. 97.5 The Fanatic. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Lainey Wilson is on a roll. She's delivering great music and teaming up with some of country's hottest acts. Text Lainey to 45911 to see which four Lainey Wilson collabs have us talking at BackstageCountry.com. Text Lainey to 45911 to get a link to the list sent right to your phone from BackstageCountry.com. 97.5 The Fanatic. Connor Thomas live with you here. And yes, we've been talking Phillies. Yes, we've been talking Eagles. And those are obviously the two teams currently playing right now. Then you have the Flyers as well, if we're going to be realistic. 
And the Flyers, their expectation level, not at the same level as the other three teams in the city of the big four. Like, it, it's just, it's not the same level of excitement for a rebuilding team. But the Sixers are due to start next Thursday. They'll play their first regular season game against the Milwaukee Bucks, who, if you haven't heard, yeah, they've got Damian Lillard. They still have that Giannis guy. That's a super talented basketball team. And they're in your conference. You're going to have to focus on getting out of the East with them looming and Miami and Boston and all of these teams you normally have to face down. The difference is, once again, the Philadelphia 76ers are dealing with a star point guard who is unhappy with where he's at. Stop me if you've heard that one before. We heard it with Ben Simmons, of course. Markel Fultz doesn't really count as that, but of course you had the weird stuff going on with that. He pales in comparison, though, to the Ben Simmons and now the James Harden saga. James Harden, per reports today, was not at Sixers practice. He just didn't show up. He's gone MIA. And and I don't mean Miami. No, he's missing in action. Per other reports, it seems like he might have been in Houston today. I I don't know where. Per HOU. Yeah, so we'll we'll see we'll see where he actually was or when he turns up again. But the Sixers are looking into his unexcused absence. This was not James Harden has to go see this person for something. This is not James Harden has a family thing or a personal matter to attend to. No, this was James Harden was supposed to be at practice, and James Harden wasn't at practice. And we already knew, right, from comments that James Harden made this offseason and things that were said about James Harden's feeling towards the Sixers, that this was going to be a messy situation to start the year. The question was, how messy? Was it going to be a Cold War where James Harden plays and you know that behind the scenes, he's like, yo, get me out of here. I want to go play somewhere else. I don't want to play for Daryl Morey anymore. I don't want to be in Philadelphia anymore. Or was it going to be more... World War II, where it's just like, okay, I'm all out going to go to war against you, and I'm going to make this as uncomfortable as possible. And right now, it seems to be leaning towards the latter. Because when a player disappears from practice, what happens then is you have to figure out how you're going to approach it as a team, but it now becomes something that other players notice and other players have to deal with. And now you're going into a season with an attempt of focusing on your craft as a player, but you're also in the back of your mind, you're like, well, are we going to have James Harden or not? Is he playing for this team or not? Is he going to be here to practice? Is he going to show up game one and expect to play? He's talented, but like, what does this do for me? What does this do for the team? What does this do for the chemistry in the locker room? These are all things that are affected. Not only is all this going on, you have a brand new head coach and expectations. It's more dire than ever that this Sixers team does something to compete this year because they've already gotten to a place because of postseason lack of success in the second round where they've lost part of this fan base to not believing in this core. So you got all of that factored in, and then James Harden has let the first spark hit the wick of the powder uh, powder keg. I almost said powder peg. I don't know what that is. The powder keg. Like just a little bit of a flame is starting to show there. And this could explode in the coming days as you get closer and closer to the Sixers opening game and we get more worried and more worried about this James Harden situation. And one of the things that also happens, it's a smaller 
kind of uh, ancillary part of the situation that you're facing when a player like this goes AWOL. But the other players on the team have to spend time talking to people about what's going on. We heard Joel Embiid make numerous comments last year, or two years ago, rather. It feels like it was last year. It feels like we've had these in quick succession. But, no, two years ago, you have heard Joel Embiid make numerous comments about Ben Simmons and the situation going on there, and he said plenty of stuff about the Ben Simmons situation when it comes to how the team's handling it, how he feels about Ben, everything like that. Well, I want you to take a listen to this because today, Joel Embiid, as you figure, was asked about James Harden's absence from practice and if he had any thoughts on the matter or knew what was going on with James Harden. So uh, take a listen to what Joel Embiid had to say, and I have thoughts on it compared to how he handled the Ben Simmons situation. Here's what Joel Embiid said after practice today. Yeah, obviously had the news that James wasn't here today. Um, just how does that impact you, impact you, like just moving forward as a team, just how do you sort of compartmentalize and move forward? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he has something to do. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, so, but we had a good practice. Uh, you know, we completed, went up and down a little bit. So it was a little hard to hear with the background noise there, but Joel Embiid was asked about James Harden's absence and everything. And in typical Joel Embiid fashion, where you can kind of tell he's trolling, but maybe he's not. He's very, he's got a very, very good poker face as to whether or not he's messing with you, but he goes, uh, maybe he had something to do. So it's a different approach than what Embiid took to the Ben Simmons situation, at least to this point. Now, if this continues to go and it rides on into the regular season and you're talking about a weekend, two weeks in, James Harden's not there, James Harden's not playing hard, something like that, and I'm projecting out, but let's say this becomes a situation that continues to grow, you may see Joel Embiid's demeanor shift. You may see him turn into the guy that talked about Ben Simmons. It was like, it's not my job to be his babysitter and everything like that. But this is an interesting thing to hear from Joel Embiid because him saying, I I don't know, maybe he had something to do. And then immediately going into what he's working on and they got good runs in, thought it was a good day of practice. Like you heard him saying that cut. He's becoming more of a... uh, I don't know if this is the right way to frame it, but like a PR-friendly person when it comes to this type of situation. He's been through it once before, right? And in the Ben Simmons situation, I'm not saying it was bad for PR because everybody and their mother in the city of Philadelphia hated Ben Simmons for the way he was handling this franchise. And Joel Embiid came out and he voiced that. Now, this time around, a lot of people are against James Harden and the way he's handling this and what he's causing this team to go through ahead of a season where he could be playing out the contract and the option he signed and everything like that. And uh, I don't know the murky background of it. I know there was something going on where he thinks Daryl Moore lied to him. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Bottom line is the option with this team was picked up. You're under contract with the Sixers. Will they trade you? Maybe, but it's your job to show up and play out that contract. And he's refusing to do so. So it's a situation where a lot of people that are Sixers fans are mad at James Harden. Joel Embiid though, in that cut, was not he was not defamatory. Uh, he was not fighting against James Harden. No, 
he said that he maybe had something to do. Maybe he had somewhere to be, basically, was his sentiment. I don't know where he was. We had a good day of practice. And maybe that shows you the mentality of the team a little bit. Hey, we've been through this before. Some of the guys who have been here, they were here for this Ben Simmons thing. Tyrus Maxey was here. Tobias Harris was here. Joel Embiid was here. Like, these guys were here for the Ben Simmons situation. Hell, Daryl Morey was here for the Ben Simmons situation. He was the one who orchestrated the trade that brought James Harden here in the first place. And maybe this team has learned from that situation. You can tell by Joel Embiid's comments, he's a little bit more comfortable, at least in this one instance, talking about it than he seemed to be talking about the Ben Simmons thing without demonstrating anger towards that player. Again, maybe as you get closer to the regular season, that changes. But that answer sounded more mature. Not that Ben Simmons deserved maturity back to him after being as immature as he was, but this sounds like a better handling of the Harden situation mentally than how Joel Embiid handled the Ben Simmons situation. If I'm building that out, he's a leader of the team. The leader often, when he talks, reflects the attitude of the team. That's something you get in locker rooms. The guy who's going to be the face of the team is normally a pretty good reflection of how the team's feeling, how the team's thinking, how the team's acting. And if Joel Embiid is indeed that for the Sixers, maybe they're in a position where it's like, okay, second time through. You hear people talk about it all the time. Now, Tom, you don't have kids. I don't have kids. Probably the world's better off for that for me. But maybe one day... We'll see what happens. Bottom line, we're not there yet. But what you hear parents talk about is the first kid you're super nervous about this, that, and the other thing. Getting the kid home from the hospital, uh, like all baby stuff, it's all new. And then you have a second one. You're like, okay, we've been here before. Like this is a little bit easier. Maybe instead of rushing to the hospital for your second kid to be born, you stop by and hit a fast food restaurant on the way. Pick up some French fries. You're like, ah, we got time. I've been here before. I've done this. This is, <laughs> for lack of a better term, Joel Embiid's second baby. Like, this is his second kid going through this situation where I know he's not a babysitter, but he's got to deal with a situation that his team has as a distraction from their goal of playing great basketball. And maybe if we believe they're better at handling it this time around, we could see them kind of fight through this better than we expect them to. It's not going to make them a better team. Having James Harden on the court is better for this basketball team and their current makeup than not having James Harden on the floor. But if he's not going to play, then the next question is, can Joel Embiid and the Sixers overcome this to play as good a basketball as they could possibly play? And if you buy into this whole theory I'm having of, it seems like Joel Embiid's more mentally at peace with this type of situation now, having gone through it once before, maybe the team is more at peace with this situation and will play solid enough basketball. I'm, I'm grasping at straws, obviously. Because you have to in the situation the Sixers are in. It's a very bleak situation when it comes to the outlook of this season. And bleak as far as competing for a championship. They're still going to be a playoff team. They're still going to win like 40, 50 games. They're, like, they're going to be very good still. But we want a championship. And this stands in your way. And they got to deal with it if they want to be good. 610-632-0975. Uh, let's go to, uh, go to Laura and Rockledge next. Laura, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. What is up, fellas? What's up? How you doing? Um, I, I'm doing well. Um, I, okay, let me just say this. James Harden, I am so sick and tired of hearing about him already. I mean, I have been, but even more so. Like, we have bigger and better things 
to focus on right now, you know, like the Phillies, the Eagles. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't that clown say like a week or so ago that, oh, he'll play. He's not going to have, you know, trust with Daryl Morey or whatever, but he'll play for the team. Yeah, what happened to that? And quite frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if his non-loyal behind is in Texas, probably at the Astros game. Yeah, well, I mean, he wants to watch a little playoff baseball. What's wrong with that, Laura? Yeah, well, he can kick (laughs) rocks and stay in Texas. I mean, uh, we're not doing a repeat of Ben Simmons. And quite frankly... I applaud Embiid. Right. You're not the PR person for the team. And as sick as I am of hearing about him, I'm quite sure that he's as sick, if not more so, of getting asked about him. I'm sure he is. And I love the answer today that he gave. And, Laura, I appreciate the call. Like, I know I make the joke about he's just seeing playoff baseball. But I'm, I'm frustrated as well. I'm where Laura's at. And I'm sure a lot of the fan base is this way, too. We're tired of this team being attacked by drama from the inside. And maybe that's just our lot in life as Philadelphia 76ers fans, that you can get a talented player that comes out of nowhere, that breaks his foot and falls to the number three overall and then becomes an MVP. You could get a Joel Embiid, but you're going to be cursed forever to have a bunch of guys around him that create drama from the inside out that keeps you from achieving the heights that you probably should be able to achieve considering your talent level. Maybe that's just something we have to come to terms with. But uh, until this window is closed, I'm not going to stop fighting for Joel Embiid and company to win an NBA championship. And this window isn't closed. It's closing. It's very close to closed. But there's still a semblance of a chance. And James Harden, this situation is unnecessary outside noise that is being created from the inside that is leading to you not being at your best. I don't care if James Harden plays for the 76ers or not again. I I frankly don't. Because I don't know that the Sixers are a James Harden away from being a championship team. Are they better with him? Yes. But he doesn't seem to want to do that. So I'm done trying to, like, have the conversation of, oh, well, what if he decides he wants to stay here and be this guy and play and you get the assist? I don't think it's realistic. But at least if you're going to play out the... The remainder of your time here until you get traded, do it with some class. Do it to pay back the guys that are trying to fight for a championship. I, would say no. I mean, do something to try and help this team so that you don't look like a complete, complete just detriment to the team when you get traded. Maybe for once, James. It would be nice to go somewhere else where you're not showing up there as a malcontent who forced his way out of the place he was before. But I I don't know if that's realistic. And perception is reality. He might be sitting around. And James Harden might have just turned his radio on and he might have heard me say that. And he might be like, what is he talking about me for? They told me they were going to do this, that, and the other thing to help me stay in Philly or to move me or to get me money. And they didn't do that. Maybe that's true. Guess what? You got to deal with it because perception is reality. And right now, the perception on you, James Harden, is you're a guy that is trying to cost this team an opportunity to compete for a championship. I get it. You want to get traded. You're in a tough personal situation. And sometimes in a tough personal situation, what you have to do is you have to grit your teeth and do the hard thing. And right now, what that would be is showing up and practicing with your team and playing with your team and trying to make yourself look like an attractive player for other teams to trade for. Or you could just go disappear. 
And you could have your value continue to drop because no one wanted to sign you this offseason because your value is not where you think it is. And then you could find yourself in an even more difficult situation where the fan base that was cheering for you last year wants nothing to do with you. And other teams in basketball might not either. That's kind of the decision of the path. And while that decision is being made by James Harden, the decision of the team is how do we handle it? How does Joel Embiid deal with it? How do the players deal with it? How does Nick Nurse, as a new head coach, deal with the distraction of James Harden? And in the wake of it all, try and play good basketball. At least that answer from Joel Embiid today was kind of a brush off enough that I'm like, okay, maybe they're more used to this at this point. But how often do you get used to your starting point guard, your star point guard, just deciding that they're going to disappear to start a season. Because two times in three years feels like a lot more than the average team has to get used to. It's annoying. It's a storyline that will continue. And that's your latest update. James Harden disappears, doesn't practice today. Who knows where he is? We'll have very much more for you in the coming days and weeks on the James Harden saga as a member, and I'll say member in quotation marks, of the Philadelphia 76ers. But coming up on the other side, Uh, I want to get back to a little bit of the Eagles conversation because there was a very interesting interview this morning. We're going to replay for you on the other side of this break. Adam Schefter's interview with the John Kikage show this morning. A lot of interesting information. I mean, Adam Schefter is the premier insider when it comes to the NFL. You get a chance to hear his thoughts every Wednesday morning on the John Kikage show. And if you missed it, we're going to replay it for you here because I think it was a very interesting interview, especially considering the Eagles had their first misstep in losing a game. And the Eagles also made some moves. So in addition to the Adam Schefter interview, I do want to have a conversation about the Julio Jones signing. And why in the world did the Eagles do it? We got all that on the other side. Still plenty to come here on Philly Sports Night. I'm Connor Thomas, and we're back after this here on 97.5 The Fanatic. 97.5 The Fanatic. 97. Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. <laughs> Wondering who made our list of the top five all-time queens of country music? Did Carrie Underwood make the cut? Find out now when you text Queens to 45911 and scroll through the list on BackstageCountry.com. Text Queens to 45911 to see the talented artists who rounded out our top five list. Five The Fanatic. Connor Thomas live with you here, and yes, it's been a heck of a night. There's so much fun stuff to talk about this time of year, especially when you're in the midst of a red October. The Eagles are playing compelling football, even if it's not always the best football like we saw this past Sunday. And then, like we just talked about, you have the James Harden drama and everything. We're going to get to, in just a second, an interview with Adam Schefter from the John Kikade Show this morning. Now, spending three years on that show, I know that Adam Schefter is the source of some of the best information possible around the NFL. You don't have to be part of the John Kikade show to know that, though. I mean, the name speaks for himself. So I want you to hear what Adam Schefter had to say in what I've called maybe the turning point or one of the turning points of the Eagles season right now between the loss to the Jets and now an impending game against the Dolphins. But we were also talking Phillies all night, getting into a conversation about the NLCS, the 2-0 lead, how dominant this team has looked. 
and I want to give a chance to Lance in Arizona who wants to talk Phils. He's out there, boots on the ground in Arizona. Lance, you're live here on 97.5 The Fanatic. Hey, guys. So, yeah, I'm out here. I'm actually going to game four. I was, gonna, I was oh, trying awesome. to go to game three, but, like, have work, can't can't take off. Uh, so game four, I also got game five. I'm not, I'm not I wouldn't worry about that one, Lance. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I, I'm just, honestly, I'm just shocked that the amount of home runs they just keep hitting. Like, I, I know they did it in August. They got real hot and they did it. But man, like, the fact that they're winning games, just hitting home runs, and then if they finally, like, if you looked at their whole playoff run up until last night, they were only hitting, like, 215 with runners in scoring position, and on the season, they were at 256. So you knew at some point in time it was going to revert back to closer to what they were. And, man, if they get that going, runners in scoring position, and you're hitting home runs, that that that's end game because none of these games are close if they start hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah, for sure. Now, Lance, I know two things about you. I know you're a big stats guy, and I know you're a big Phils guy. So I want to ask you this. When you look at what the Phillies have done, all the historic numbers they're putting up during this postseason run, to you, this is what we opened the show with. I want to pose this question to you. What is the most impressive thing you've seen from this team over this postseason run? Singular player, it's probably Aaron Nola because I did not expect him to completely turn it around. Like, it's not just he just turned it around. He became, like, 2008 Cole Hamels and 2009 Cliff Lee. Like, that's yeah. how locked in he is right now. Like, and, like, if you, like, I've watched at least 150 of the games this year. His starts. Like, there will be times where you think he was turning the corner, and then he just revert back. And, like, it was the smallest thing. Where somebody would get on base, and all of a sudden that snowball became an avalanche. And you're just like, man, you, you could see it coming. You could see it on his face. And then when you watch him now, it, nothing's bothering him. No. I sit there and I go, holy crap, man. If he's lat locked in, that you're going to be really hard to beat if you get to face those guys four times in the series. So, like that, I would also say the bullpen's doing a really good job. I know it's been shaky, and some of the guys are not. Like, I don't completely trust them, like Dominguez and Soto. But, man, they've only, I think they've pitched like, 25 innings and only giving up three earned runs, which is, which is phenomenal when you consider how stressful some of those games have been. I know, man. Listen, Lance, one more thing I want to ask you, too, because I agree with the bullpen point, and Aaron Nola was my pick, too, for the number one thing that's impressed me. Uh, with you being out there in Arizona, I know you're going to game four. Give me an idea of what that Diamondbacks fan base is like, because I don't know any Diamondbacks fans, and I don't I know for a fact they don't have the following that the Phillies do here, but like you're out there. How ready is that town for a game three and four of the NLCS and potentially a game five, or is it going to be just a big empty stadium with a good amount of Phillies fans going out there? I don't think it's going to be empty. Tomorrow it might because a lot of people have work and it's right at two o'clock. So I'm not sure how many people are going to be taking off work to go to that game. Right. But I would bet game four, it's going to be packed. I went there. I went to a playoff game because my friend invited me like way long ago, like when they won the world series back in 20, 2001 and that place, it, it gets pretty loud. Like I wouldn't say like they're, 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 they're definitely front running fans. Like they're not going to be there. Like I went to two Phillies games this year and it was like 45% Phillies fans. And then the rest were diamondbacks. And it was, it, there was a ton of open seats. So like, it's not like they're there. The, the two sports out here that people really get behind and they're like, don't, They'll be there regardless. The Phoenix Suns, they've always had a really good following. 
And then the Arizona Wildcats basketball team down, down in Tucson, they get behind that. They travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually say that's probably the closest thing in Arizona to like Philadelphia sports fans. Cause they're fanatical about that. Like they'll talk trash and like piss everybody off on Twitter. If you ever like want to see something like college basketball wise, where they'll do that. Arizona Wildcat basketball Twitter is a hundred percent that. Um, yeah. But like, as for the Dimebacks, it's kind of like the Coyotes and the Cardinals. When they're good, they'll show up for playoff games. But when they're not good, they don't care. Like, I got it's you. One of those, it, 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 there's more, like, when you go to a Diamondbacks game, it's almost 50-50 other teams' fans, especially when it's the Dodgers and, like, Phillies and, and even, I would say, the Yankees and the Mets. When they're all out there, those teams and the Red Sox and Cubs, it's almost 50% the other team. Yeah, so, that's good insight, it, it's Lance. I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate the call, man. I hope you enjoy Game 4. I hope you don't enjoy Game 5 because I hope it doesn't happen. And that's good insight. I mean, that's what I imagined. You're going to see a good contingent of Philadelphia Phillies fans out there, especially considering the time of the game. Because Phillies fans that are flying out there for the game or traveling or maybe live out there, they'll take off work. They're off if they're traveling. A 2 o'clock game that time out there in Arizona is a tough one. For that fan base, especially watching your team get their teeth kicked in in Philadelphia. So the hope there is that it's not the home field advantage that the Diamondbacks normally have. And even if it was, it's not the home field advantage that the Philadelphia Phillies have. Now, another team with a home field advantage is the Philadelphia Eagles. And against the Miami Dolphins, they're going to need it because that's a good team coming in here. And I want you to take a listen to what Adam Schefter had to say on the John Kincaid show this morning when he talked to the guys about the state of the Eagles, stuff going on around the NFL in general, and just what's facing this team this week in Miami. Take a listen. Adam Schefter, premier NFL insider, joins us. And uh, Adam, I've got to tell you, this city is so into Red October, I think the Eagles are getting a little (laughs) bit of a pass on what was a really, really bumpy Sunday. And we got Kelly Green Eagles coming up on Sunday night against the Miami Dolphins. Good morning. Kelly Green Kelly Green Sunday. Good morning, John. Kelly Green Sunday. Hunt for Red October. Oh my gosh. Sixers. Sixers opening soon. NBA war room draft tonight, Bob. Before we're hanging up, you didn't send me any t- tips and I got you. Oh, today. Come on, Don't Bob. You Seriously. Poised to break out. Poised to break out. But listen. The Eagles, when you lose to the Jets, you take the back seat to, to the Phillies. That's the way it goes. E- Phillies 10 nothing up 2-0. It's a Phillies town right now today. It's a Phillies town. But I, Eagles have to win it back on Sunday. I can't take, though, Adam, the one thing, though, I can't take, I don't want to, I'm so tired of seeing Robert Sala and seeing his face on the news. And I got to tell you, I never remember Bill Belichick, never remember Andy Reid, never remember Don Shula coming out with a 3-3 three and three freaking football team and saying, yeah, we faced all these top quarterbacks and we've embarrassed them all. He is, to me, honestly, and I'll use the word, you don't have to, I think he's a jackass. I, he's accomplished nothing. Uh, he no, has accomplished no, 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 nothing no, no, no. as an NFL head coach. And I've never seen NFL kid, head coaches spiking a ball like that with a 3-3 three and three football team. Well, again... Yeah. It's my words, not yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, they're very excited. They're staying afloat without their quarterback. They're three and three. They're heading into a bye. They beat a team they never beat. They basically beat an unbeaten team without Sauce Gardner, without DJ Reed, when everybody was saying, you know, who's going to play defensive? Like, the Jets should be applauded. Now, you could disapprove of how he handled. That's fine. 
but they were excited. It's, you know, it's a little new to them. But who else does that? What other head coach have you ever seen do that? Go with a three and three football team. Yeah, we faced all these top quarterbacks and we've embarrassed them all. I mean, like, like nobody talks like that. Andy Reid doesn't. Bill Belichick doesn't. The greatest coaches of all time don't. Who is this guy? He's a great guy. He's a great guy. I'm just telling you, he's a great guy. And maybe he got too carried away and you didn't like it and Philly didn't like it. But if you had dinner with him, John, you'd like him. Okay. All right. Well, that's not bad. Shefty, uh, the, the Eagles made a signing yesterday, Julio Jones. Big name from the past. What does it mean now, do you think, for this team? And where is Julio Jones as far as being ready to play in an NFL game from what you're hearing? Well, I, I think well, he's going to join the practice squad. They're going to ramp him up. I don't know whether he – I think it probably would be ambitious for him to play on Sunday, I'm going to guess. I mean, that, that yeah. would seem to be ambitious. But, but he's a physical freak, okay, a total physical freak. And it's going to take him a little bit of time to get back up to speed. Maybe they can use him in certain spots at certain times. I don't think it'll be long before they sign him off the practice squad and onto the active roster and elevate him in that way. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's a week or two or three, but it won't be long. And I, I did I chuckle at him being put on the practice squad because observing his entire career in Atlanta, uh, practice was not something that Julio enjoyed at all. In fact, he rarely, <laughs> he rarely participated in it ever. <laughs> That's very, that that is very accurate. That is very accurate. Well, he's got to he's got to participate in it now to get ready and get him back up to speed. Right? Yes, he does. He does. That that, that that that's what he needs, and so he's got to get that done and get back up to speed. But you know, they went back and they looked at his tape from Tampa and checked him out. And and you know what was interesting is I remember going into last year talking to some Buccaneers officials and they had Julio and they had Godwin and they had Mike Evans and they said, hey season julio is our best receiver i'm like really better than goblin and evan we believe he's our best receiver going into the season now it did not shake out that way right okay god godwin and evans did what godwin and evans do because they're great receivers but that gives you an idea of the perception that that team had of julio one year ago one year ago and Apparently he's still in good shape and he's kept himself up to speed and that's the case. Then, you know, they're looking for him to be the number three wide receiver. So, uh, you know, in a three role, Chris Watkins was put on IR and it sounds like it's going to be a while on him. So really Julio becomes Quez Watkins is what this is. Quez Watkins was starting a lot for the Eagles and, and counted upon to be that slot wide receiver. Uh, you, you said you watched the tape or you know what he did last year in Tampa. I'm not going to lie. I didn't. I don't remember Julio Jones and what he did in Tampa last year, Shefty. But do you think there's still some left in the tank that he can, air quotes, help this team? Well, 70% of Julio Jones is still better than most receivers in the league, right? Okay. So, yeah, I do, think, I do think there's something in the tank, and I do think he will be able to help. Are you going to get – are you signing Julio and he's competing, you know, with Devontae and – AJ to be the one. No, no, that's not happening. Can he come in and catch a couple of passes a game or a big third down catch or a target? Yeah, that that definitely could happen. And I think that's what they're thinking could happen. If they're thinking he's going to help in the red zone, though, uh, the the red zone and the and the end zones actually at Lincoln Financial Field were very bad to him. 
in the in the in that NFC playoff game, and then the first game of the next year, he's very adverse to those end zones. So I, I just uh, Julio, I, I got to ask you this: Tell me what you know it, or what you can share with us about Lane Johnson's injury, because there's some rumblings that he might play Sunday. Well, the text I got Sunday night was, "quote unquote," looks good, which was I was not expecting to see that phrase on Sunday night with Lane Johnson when he limped off. Now, again, you're talking about one of the toughest players around. Uh, it's an ankle injury, sprained ankle of some sorts. I, I heard it described as a lateral sprain, whatever that is. Um, I think that, yeah, he's going to have a chance to be out there. And I'm sure it'll be heavily taped up. And it's, I don't want to diminish what he's, believe me. But it's not like he's playing running back or wide receiver. You know, he's there in the trenches, and these guys are warriors. You know, they want to be out there. They want to be there for their team, and they don't want to miss. And so it sounds like, yes, that is accurate, that he does have a chance of being out there, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's out there. Chef, do you, when the Eagles were 5-0, we talked to you about this. In this city, it was, yeah, they're 5-0, but uh, they lose a game to the Jets last week. We've all seen it. We've all been around sports long enough to know the best team doesn't always win, and the NFL is the yep. NFL. Is the national talk about the Eagles more of a, wow, they're not where they were last year, or is it more of the, well, yeah, but they're still 5-1? Well, you know, I think that when people talk about the Eagles, what they find interesting right now, I've heard it come up a couple of times, is, look ahead to their schedule and they are a really good team. And I still think they're one of the two or three best teams in the NFC easily. I mean, to me, it's, you know, them and the Niners. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think Detroit is right there. I think Detroit is very good. I, I don't know if they're quite in the Niners and Eagles class, but they're not far from it if they aren't. And so if you look at the Eagles right now, the schedule is really, I mean, it, 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 that, it is not a simple schedule when you look at it. Um, I have it on my phone right here. It's not. It's, 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 you got a tough gauntlet. Go. Ready? Yeah. Dolphins at Commanders. Cowboys. Bye. At Chiefs. Bills. 49ers. At Dallas. At Seattle. Like one, two, three. Four, that's a nasty six, stretch. Seven. That's a, that's eight games, and I got to tell you something. If they come out of that stretch and they go five and three or six and two, that would be very good. They come out five and three. They then they finish with Giants twice and Cardinals once, and two of those games are at home, right. so they can take care of business. Well, that would be thirteen and four, then, right? That would yes. be thirteen and four. Now, you know, it never goes just quite like that. They could probably, you know, maybe reel off seven and one and then lose some of those games that the, you just don't know how these things go and injuries and momentum and how things are going like who would have ever picked the jets to beat the eagles especially uh without their defensive backs but they did and so you can't predict it but the point of it is is that is a difficult and eight game stretch as any team in the nfl could have this season there, there can't be a tougher eight game stretch than that that anybody has It'll right be t- well, I guarantee that. the one thing I like about it. And I'll tell you right now, split with the Cowboys. I guarantee you they win the East. Guarantee it. I'll, anything, anything that anybody would want, because the Cowboys go to the Bills and to the Dolphins in, in mid-December. They have yep. to play the Bills and the Dolphins on the road where the Eagles play them at home. And I think that's a huge advantage. I don't feel good about Sunday's game 
uh, Adam, I feel great about it. Really? I feel great. Oh, wow. Like capital. Yeah, that, that was no, John I, Kincaid. I feel Definitely. capital G great about it. Remember Sunday night. I, I feel great that they're going to come out and they're going to truck them because the Miami Dolphins, yeah, they're five and one, and the five teams they've beaten are five and twenty-four. They're terrible. They, that's that's terrible. The, 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 yeah, the, but they are they they are they, they are the 2023 version of the greatest show on turf. They are. Oh, that. they are. They're, they're, yeah, when you're playing when you're playing teams that are five and twenty four, though, those numbers are going to be a little expanded and bloated. I mean, big skewed. time skewed. Yes, yeah. skewed. I think is a good word. Uh, but they they still are a very explosive team. Very. Set up that dinner with uh, Robert Sala, would you? We'll 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 do that in the off season. Try to remedy yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, you'll like you'll get, you'll get done. You'll go. You'll get done. You'll go. What a great guy! Oh, uh, that's good. I, yeah, I, I had I had him red wrong. I want my say first, though. I mean, then we can get past that at the appetizer. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you, buddy. I'll text you, Shefty. Ninth pick, right? Ninth pick. Oh, you know, Bob. I got you. For a few guys, poised for a breakout this year. Poised oh, for like a breakout. Kind of All right, you got it. Yeah. I will text you. I will text you after the show. There you have it, the interview with uh, Adam Schefter on the John Kincaid Show this morning. And some interesting stuff in there. The Lions being in that conversation, not somewhere I'm ready to put them yet. But Schefter absolutely is. Also, maybe one of the more interesting things is how confident John Kincaid is in this game with the Dolphins. But you heard Adam Schefter read it off. It's a very, very difficult stretch of the schedule for the Philadelphia Eagles upcoming. They're getting into the gauntlet. How do they handle it? in a tough circumstance right now, outside of even the games with the injuries and everything, it's, it's going to be a big question for the Philadelphia Eagles going through the next seven, eight, nine weeks. It's going to determine their season. And are they up for the task? We'll find out on Sunday. But the biggest thing, too, Julio Jones. Doesn't sound like he's here to just be a nobody or a practice squad guy, a washed wide receiver who you get for the name. Now, he's going to contribute. He's going to dominate, as Julio Jones said he would today. And we'll see if he can keep up to that domination. But there is a lot of domination going on in Philly right now. And it's done by the Philadelphia Phillies. It's a fun time in the Philly sports scene. Tomorrow, you got game three. Then you got game four right after that. And hopefully not a game five, but a huge stretch for Philly sports in general. It was a fun show tonight. Thank you to everyone who tweeted, texted, called, all that great stuff. Appreciate you being along for the ride. Thank you, Tom, for doing a great job, as always, alongside me. And uh, appreciate you joining us on another episode of Philly Sports Tonight. I'm Connor Thomas, and I'll talk to you next time here on 97.5 The Fanatic.